raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Here's a newsflash for you, Jimmy Cook. And a newsflash for you, Eddie Garrison. And a newsflash for people that are listening, even though both of the two of you, as well as people listening, are probably aware of these two facts. You ready? Lay it on us. It's a hump day. I, I woke up, Eddie, convinced today was Thursday. Like, I had psyched myself up so much for the fact that yesterday we got off to a one day ahead of where we thought we were start that I convinced myself that today was Thursday. And I ha- you have no idea the buzzkill that I had when I realized that it is, in fact, still hump day Wednesday. It's the undercut of what a holiday week is supposed to be, even though we're in the twilight of the holiday season. You have these two, at least for us anyway, back-to-back four-day work weeks, but if you lose track of the calendar, then all that momentum gets undercut because you think, oh, we only got one. Oh, there's two days left. Totally. But that was not my newsflash. The newsflash is this. Purdue's really good. (laughs) And the second newsflash is so too is Caitlin Clark. Even though, admittedly, Caitlin Clark, and I know that we're an Indianapolis sports show, and aside from the fact that she would be undoubtedly the next star of the Indiana Fever if she decides to leave the University of Iowa, but I looked at it, she was like 5 of 56 from three-point range in that game last night, but the one she hit was pretty electric. (laughs) Goes for 40 and hits from like 40 feet out. I mean, it was – and have you heard the sound of the net? Yes. Watched the clip a handful of times. The sound of the net is by far the best part of Caitlin Clark's game winner last night. Yeah. And who, I mean, here we are, a sports radio program in Indianapolis, Indiana, where the Colts are playing on Saturday night, primetime, for a chance to get to the NFL playoffs and produce the number one ranked basketball team in the country. And they're 50 miles from here, I don't know, 80 miles, whatever it is. And they are rolling along, and we start out with that. But it was a pretty amazing shot. But. It is a Wednesday, in fact. Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Query Company on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Uh, Pacers also back into the swing of things with the Milwaukee Bucks. You consider, by the way, Eddie Milwaukee to be a what level rival for them? Who are the Pacers' three biggest rivals? Do they have rivals right now? I would say Milwaukee is certainly their top rival right now. Because I don't think there's any animosity or bad blood or, you know, previous drama between the Pacers and two teams like there has been with Milwaukee. I'm with Scott Agnes on this. I know in history would say you would say the New York Knicks. Right. And the Detroit Pistons, but obviously one of those two teams is not even competing right now. So I'm with Scott Agnes on this. The bar is so low for rivalries in the NBA. We had him on yesterday. You get that podcast, search Query and Company, wherever you get your podcast. We had him on yesterday. And he highlighted the fact that for it to be like a real rivalry for him, which is always how I felt about it, there has to be some postseason juice to it. And there is, I guess, a wrinkle of that, just a tiny wrinkle, because the Pacers bounced them from the in-season tournament. But I need like a series-long archive of stories that have happened. Like, it's, it's a, it's a dust-up right now. It's probably more so than the big brother, little brother of a year ago, but there needs to be real stakes involved for both sides before I'm willing to say, yeah, it's a rivalry. That said, they occupy the same division. Divisions don't really matter anymore in the NBA, but at least there's some historical roots there. Yeah, I, I would say the Pacers' rival, probably age-dependent, 
but if you were to go with like the most consistent or the one that that like awakens for people is probably still the Dicks. Yeah. But then you have the Pistons, the Heat, and the Bucks as interchangeably circumstantial rivals in short doses. But I don't know about like long term. Like this would have to go on for uh, a long time. I think also the fact that. Could you toss the, in Cleveland as well with LeBron yeah, James? LeBron, no, no, I, mean, I, 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 thing, I would label right? any team LeBron's been on in the last right. 15 years. I, I think part of it, part of why Milwaukee is hard to say as a rival is because Milwaukee is of similar market size to Indiana. So I think that there's like kind of this understood tip of the cap between the franchises because it's like, yeah, they're in the same boat we're in. Whereas with New York, it's like the big, bad, evil Gotham New York Knicks and like little lowly tractor driving right. pacers and that inferiority that, that goes back to all of that. You are getting the foundation laid, though, for it. The game ball swipe, no, the post-game it, press conference. If if the Pacers... Until allegedly. after the fact, you realize like, you know, and the next time they see each allegedly, other... Allegedly, allegedly, right, yeah. Well, the, but I'm saying... No, I the, meant the, him, not you, sorry. Yeah, the other night, after the game... It was all chummy. Correct. It it looked like the end of any long playoff series in the NBA. You have all this bickering, this fighting. And again, it was a regular season game, obviously. But if the Pacers, you're looking for indelible images of a rivalry. If the in-season tournament was instead April, and that had been a seven-game series, and Tyrese Halliburton is looking at his watch like it's not Dame time, it's my time, that's an indelible image of a rivalry brewing. And I feel like that's happening right now. But again... For me, anyway, you need like that's why that's what made the Knicks generational hatred because it was series after series, right. and you knew you were going to end up together. That doesn't feel like that yet with Milwaukee. The Bulls would be up there too, but the difference between the Bulls and the other franchises we mentioned is that because of Jordan, the the Pacers are just one of many franchises yeah. that consider the Bulls that they don't have like, exclusive rights. I don't know that the Bulls consider the Pacers a rival. Right. I think the Knicks definitely considered the Pacers sure. with Reggie Miller a rival. Miami probably doesn't. Milwaukee might with Indiana. Now, question is, this Saturday night is the game for the Colts. Their rival is clearly historically the New England Patriots. Yeah. But I don't know that the New England Patriots would say, the, the Patriots would tell you this. If you were to talk to a Patriots fan, once he got done with his chatter, he would tell <laughs> you that he was his rival was Peyton Manning, not the Colts. And as soon as Peyton Manning went on to Denver, people in New England were like, yeah, Colts are old news. We, we, who cares about the Colts? Yeah. Even with the McDaniels thing and when Chris Ballard's like, the rivalry's back on. And no, it's not. I will say it clearly bothered more than it did others. Like Brady, I don't know. He's not been like publicly clear about how much he viewed the Colts. Definitely viewed Peyton as a rival. But like Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman are doing a podcast last week, and I don't know if you saw this make the rounds, but like they're talking about how much they hated the Colts. Like They hated the Colts more than anybody they played. And after your playing careers are done, if you're willing to say that about a team who, when you put the records next to one another, the Patriots are the better franchise. Right. But for them to still have that viewpoint as former players, like I well, hate. Well, Deflategate certainly. I know that I said that. And that, that was about the highlight. They said that's that. That's probably right? it. They highlighted Deflategate that. Deflategate certainly accentuated They that. highlighted that on that podcast. But the point being, if former players of a dynasty like that have the time to still have those feelings about a franchise, that's, fair. that's a successful rivalry. That's fair. I, I, I think that now, and obviously it comes from the fact that they are within the same division and. 
maybe this is also kind of one-sided from the other side, but uh, the Houston Texans are kind of becoming that a little bit. I mean, it was the Titans for a while. I don't think Jacksonville – there's always internal rivalry within the division, but uh, here we are now with Houston and Indianapolis. It's interesting, the Colts and the Texans, both starting out from – the Texans and the Colts are like neighboring yards – for Habitat for Humanity. You got a subdivision that has one house that's like pretty nice. Nice house. And you're like, man, they're, they're way ahead of the game. And, and and then you go inside the house and you realize, well, they've got like three pieces of Ikea furniture and one really nice couch. But the rest of the house is kind of window dressing. That's the Jacksonville Jaguars, beginning of the block, right? Then you've got another house on the, on the street that Three years ago was the envy of really the whole street and the neighborhood. Nice big house. But then you realize, you're like, you know, one of the gutters is falling off. They probably need to redo the roof. And they've got a couple of nice pieces of furniture on the inside of it, but it's kind of dilapidated looking. And I'm not sure what they're doing. Are they painting the house or are they redoing the lawn? What are they doing exactly? There's That's been Tennessee. like five HOA complaints about it. Correct. Like- <laughs> Correct, right? And people are like, yeah, but the guy that runs the house, like some people really like him and other people think he's terrible. I, You know? And then you have the two houses in the middle, the two lots in the middle that were empty lots that hired Habitat for Humanity, and they were doing a total rebuild. And immediately, the Texans' house had a really nice scaffolding up, and it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, they are way ahead of where, where we thought they were. We, we did not expect they this at all. They got a space for cookouts in the backyard totally. you wouldn't believe. Their foundation is yep. way more solid than we thought. Yep. I thought that their foundation was basically just nothing more than like a red clay, and that, that bad boy is an already hardened cement. And the Colts then got out to like kind of this shaky start, but then you realize you're like, you know what? They used bamboo, but it's pretty sturdy, right? And and some of those bamboo spokes they, they used, I, I think, are probably as good as some of the two-by-fours. And they got something here. The problem for the Colts is the 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 main the the biggest ingredient to the entire thing the foreman called in sick after three weeks and now you got everybody building a nice house but he's not around to be the guy that's going to enjoy most of it right but it is kind of an arms race is it not between those two franchises off the cuff by the way on a total whim off the top of my head that's not one of the worst analogies no it's not I, I was going to ask you once we went to break hey was that an off the cuff or was that hey well i thought off the cuff but i mean come on but but it was so intricate the details of the bamboo you think he preps no to be clear you think he preps for his analogies the way that the prep sheet for the the bamboo sold me man the bamboo had me okay the spokes of the bamboo it had me for a second look we talked about this when the draft happened and i'm i've made it pretty clear how i feel about will levis that said he has surprised me at times this season but when the draft happened it looked like, okay, Trevor Lawrence is there, sure. And maybe the Jaguars still take the South this year. Didn't know it would come down to the wire like it has. But look out because these other franchises are making moves. I don't know about Tennessee. I don't. But it's clear with Houston, they have their guy. And a lot of people internally with the Colts think Anthony Richardson is their guy. We're just... The Texans are a year early to the party. And the Colts wanted to also be a year early to a potential playoff party. Regrettably, like you mentioned, though, their key piece was taken away from them. And now it's Gardner Minshew, who he's not that. He's not the level of Stroud. He's not the level of Richardson. But he's been good enough to where they have a fair shot going into this. Like, this does not feel like, whether you ask a Colts fan, a Texans fan, or someone that makes the betting lines, this does not feel like, yeah, hey, good night. 
Houston's going to the playoffs. Why are you even playing this game? See, and my a lot of that changed second. Concern is the wrong word, Jimmy. My fascination. Is okay. a better word. My fascination with the Colts is this. And I know that I've I've preached this preached is maybe the wrong word. I I know that I, I've mentioned this several times. In September, October, realistically, I think if you put truth serum in Jim Mercer, Chris Ballard, realistically, this is what they would say. We are a franchise that had a franchise quarterback in Peyton Manning. We transitioned to a franchise quarterback in Andrew Luck. And then we knew that we were in situations where we didn't have a franchise quarterback waiting in the wings. So we kind of did Band-Aid year to year. And we went with Phillip Rivers. And we went with Jacoby Brissett. And we went with Matt Ryan. And we went with Carson Wentz. We thought maybe Carson Wentz was going to be a long-term guy, but we learned very quickly from our owner that that was not going to be the case and he didn't want him here. So we finally found a franchise quarterback in Anthony Richardson. And this was the guy that we were building around. This was the guy that everything was going to be designed for Anthony Richardson's liking. It was kind of like when you're getting married and you are planning a wedding, everything goes through the bride. And Anthony Richardson was the bride. We really like this color of ink. It doesn't matter. The bride prefers blue. Well, we really like these flowers and we think they look nice and we got a good deal. It doesn't matter. The bride's allergic to those. We have to go with this kind of flower because that's best for the bride. Right? That's the way it works. And so with all of that, with every move that was made, seemingly it was made for and and in mind with what Anthony Richardson would most want and most benefit from. And then he got hurt. So when that happened, Gardner Minshew comes in. Now, if you were to ask the Colts brass at the time that Gardner Minshew came in, I'm sure their thought process was, yeah, I'm, we want to win some games for sure. And But Gardner Minshew is a veteran guy that is going to be able to sustain for us and keep us competitive, and that's cool. But we have to assess everybody around to make sure that they are all players that are growing and being cultivated properly for when Anthony Richardson is ready to go. So the question is, does Gardner Minshew play a style or demand a style or require a style that actually differs from the style in which the supporting pieces are going to have to play once Anthony Richardson is the starting quarterback? And if that is the case, and I don't know that it is, but if it is the case, did they reach a point in the season where they said, you know what, we are competitive this year with a chance at the playoffs for this year, so we're going to continue to ride to now facilitate what is the best in style towards Gardner Minshew as opposed to continuing on our trajectory of building and planting and cultivating what's best in style for the eventual takeover of Anthony Richardson. If the bridesmaid had to fill in for the rehearsals, then all of a sudden, did you have to replace the flowers with those that the bridesmaid actually is better suited towards with allergies than that of the bride? I don't know the answer to that, but it's the thing that fascinates me for next year about the Colts. Well, I feel like I've been pretty clear on this, and I think you both agree with me. 
even if we disagree with how many of the pass catchers on this team are here next year, a new one of some variety should be brought in. I, I whether it's in that. free agency, whether it's to the draft, and I know this is conversation for two weeks from now and beyond versus this week where they still have an opportunity to actually get in, but that's the biggest change. If Anthony Richardson says, or even if he doesn't, even if Anthony Richardson says, hey, this is your decision, you guys, I'm a player, you guys are the personnel managers, you handle that, I just want to be surrounded by the best talent that I can. Regardless of what he says on the matter, Colts Brash should still feel like we need an upgrade offensively. And I get it, their secondary is a mess, like there's going to be changes all around this roster a year from now, but it shouldn't be that drastically different. I don't think the Colts, from an offensive standpoint, if Anthony Richardson is the player that we think he can be, just add one more piece for him offensively. It's going to help him succeed in the same way. The And I get it. Trevor Lawrence isn't the generate right now. Trevor Lawrence is not viewed as a perfect finished product, but it most definitely helped getting him another offensive weapon to help him in year two. Like that, that part, you look at every metric and I get it. The Urban Meyer stuff, there was a lot of chaos there. Doug Peterson certainly helped with stability for that franchise, but bringing in more weapons for him should be paramount for whatever they do with season So I, I think that there's a reason, Jimmy. Alec Pierce, for example. Alec Pierce is Adam Dunn. In the fact that when he hits a home run, there's no doubt it's a home run. Yep. And then the other... Th- three out of four at-bats, he swings and misses and falls down on his knee and everybody chuckles, right? Yeah. And so you say to yourself, like, why are they continuing to pitch to Adam Dunn or why why is Adam Dunn still getting at-bats? Now, that's a little harsh on Alec Pierce, but I think Alec Pierce is out there, and I can't remember which of the two of you pointed this out. It might have been Eddie. It's a really good point, though. I think Alec Pierce is out there and continues to get reps as much about the fact that he's been able to make big-time plays, which he did against the Raiders, which he did in Tennessee. He's able to make those big-time plays, but you want him going through the the dress of running those big-time plays because you know that he is the bouquet of flowers that most appeals to Anthony Richardson as the bride because Anthony Richardson is a a home-run-hitting throw the ball behind the defense guy and for that reason he needs a receiver that can get behind the defense it's going to help him tremendously to have a Michael Pittman as a big targeted occasional deep threat but for the most part over the middle third and nine stretch receiver move the chains that's huge right yeah but he also needs that home run guy and and I think that keeping Alec Pierce moving in that direction even if the ball's not coming to him but getting Alec Pierce just familiar with what defenses look like how you get behind them where you need to be in the event the ball is coming to you I think 90 percent of that this year has been about preparing him for when Anthony Richardson's there because he is one of the pieces of what you're talking about Josh Downs certainly at the beginning of the year started out like a guy no doubt about it that can kind of do both but is more like your safety net underneath receiver. Tapered off a little bit there, but clearly you've got somebody in him. You've got something in him. No question about the fact that if you look at prolific, big-time playmaking receivers, all of them, virtually, all of them have a secondary receiver lining up alongside of them that creates debate of could that guy be a number one elsewhere? And 
aside from Michael Pittman, the Colts don't currently have a receiver, Jimmy, that you would look at and go, yeah. man, that's a great debate of whether that guy could be a number one somewhere. Ain't nobody's talking about if Alec Pierce can be a number one. Nobody's talking about if Josh Downs can be a number one. But when Marvin Harrison was in his prime, people talked about that with Reggie Wayne. When Isaac Bruce was in his prime, people talked about that with Torrey Holt. Right. When Jerry Rice was in his prime, people talked about that with John Taylor. When Michael Irvin was in his prime, people talked about that with Alvin Harper. You need a secondary receiver that has potential has the look of a number one, to your point, and they don't have that just yet. No, they don't. And from a financial standpoint alone, not just because he's probably earned it, Alec Pierce will still be here next year. Like, he, he's going to get another opportunity with what he was promised, which is a quarterback that's consistently going to look for you as a deep threat. I'm not saying that Alec Pierce is always open. I'm not saying that he doesn't sometimes drop passes. I'm not saying that some of what's happened this year isn't on him. But I think he deserves another year with the quarterback that he was promised this past offseason, which is the big arm of Anthony Richardson. That said, a lot changes for everybody's role next year in this offense if there is another top-level pass catcher within the offense. Because suddenly you're not asking Alec Pierce to just and Alec Pierce and Josh Downs to be de facto number two wide receivers. The roles change a bit. You can ask Pierce to more exclusively be your deep threat guy when there's somebody else there to draw attention defensively. And Michael Pittman does a great job of that for all the roles you outlined. But again, when I look at this roster, they have enough cap flexibility to do both. They can take another year on Pierce while also looking, whether it's in the draft, which there could be some fun wideouts in the 2024 draft class that maybe Chris Bauer decides to take a swing on or they'll have options in free agency. I don't care which way they do it. They're just doing a disservice to Anthony Richardson if they're not taking another swing for this offense. By the way, I, I, I looked this up. I like the name Alec, right? Alec's a cool name. Yes. Oh, boy. So, I've got a friend listening named Alec, and I'm pretty sure right. he's about to text me, and he's going to say, thanks, Jake. What's I his like last my name? name? Uh, Roar. What is it? Roar. Spelled the same way? R-O-H-R. Oh, okay. Was Alec Roar. Yeah. Strong. It's not he, bad. He texts you frequently, I guess. It's not bad. Um, <laughs> I feel like... The pairing of Alec, Alec and Roar is not bad? A, a more multisyllabic last name to pair with it. Well, something tells me he doesn't have a, a say in what his last name is. That's a good point. Tell the chat out your So I looked up most famous Alex. Now, not most famous... A-L-E-X. I'm talking about the plural of Alec. A-L-E-C, right? Alec Baldwin. They have Alec Baldwin fifth. There's no way that's right. Who's first? Alec Baldwin has to be the most famous Alec, right? That's the first name that popped into my head. Not that that matters, but I would put it up there. Alec Clunes, British actor, number one. Come on. I mean, he's been dead for 50 years, first off, but okay. <laughs> Alec Sue, a Taiwanese actor, number two. Alec Roberts, who's an actor at number three. Alec Roberts is like a kid actor who dreams of someday being Alec Baldwin. I realize Alec Baldwin allegedly, like, you know, he's been in a little hot water lately and, and isn't the most beloved figure, but come on. Alec Ross is number four and Alec Baldwin's number five. Alec Baldwin's got to be number one, right? That's I mean, probably where I would have I guess him. if you're a Taiwanese actor, maybe he's like the Alec Baldwin of Taiwan. But what's the population of Taiwan? Is it as high as the United States? I would say no. By default alone, right? Alec Baldwin's got to be number one. 
And, I mean, Alec Roberts or Alec Sue, come on. Alec Clunes been gone for 50-plus years. Alec Baldwin's got to be number one. Another site has him, too. Who's that have number one? Alec Douglas Holm. Come on. Number three, Alec Guinness, the original Obi-Wan, among other things. But there you go. Not not bad, Alec Guinness. But but I think most people think of him. They're like the beer guy? Or the... Or the is, Sir Alec Guinness, excuse are, me. Are they like, wait, Alec Guinness, is that the guy that does the book with the fat twins on the mopeds? And the world's tallest man? The guy with the, <laughs> the long fingernails, the Guinness book? The fingernails that wrap around like the... You know what I'm talking about with the I, fingernail yes, photo, yes, right? Yep. Whatever happened to that guy? Hell, that guy's probably that. That might be. He's probably over in Taiwan watching Alex Sue and some movies because I believe that was somebody international, right? I too had a Guinness Book of World Records in my school library. Yeah, I'm familiar. Did you have the Fat Twins? They were there. Yeah, on the on the mini bikes, sure. right? World's what tallest still, man. Yep. That's uh, Robert. What was his name? Robert Ludlow was that his name from Alton, Illinois? That was like eight feet eleven. Take your word for it. I don't think he was eight <laughs> feet eleven, but he was like eight foot one or something. Look up tall, world's tallest man, Eddie. Look up the world's tallest man. I want to say it's Robert. Gosh darn it. It was either Wallow or Ludlow, something like that. And he was from Alton, Illinois, I'm pretty sure. What'd you find, Eddie? Robert Wadlow. Wadlow. See, I was close. Yeah. What's his hometown? Um, I'm getting to that now gotta be right underneath it right the archives are deep it is alton illinois what's his height he is eight foot 11 i'll give you 99 percent on that do you guys ever just thank yourself that you have <laughs> access to this sort of walking wikipedia i mean i mean do you ever think do you ever say to yourself that, that is like alec pierce aspires to someday be alec Sue, right? You do you guys ever say to yourself like, I aspire to have that kind of absolute, incredible, worthless knowledge stored within that medulla oblongata? That, 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 seriously, do you know how much I just impressed myself? I think a great deal. I, genuinely, I Which think you're going to think about that on the drive home. So, are you going to go home and tell Shannon about this moment? Is that what you're going to do, or are you going to tell Boo? Well, yeah, I don't think that um, Shannon listens anymore. So. Nothing against you guys. She, but, you know, when I did the morning show, she wasn't working yet. So she'd get up and like, while she was getting, she'd say like, I heard you do, talking about this or that. Now she's she's working during the course of the day. So I'll say, oh, did you hear such and such? No, hey, I didn't Just time it. stamp it on the YouTube, send it to Jake. We'll get it chopped Listen, up and he can. Boo, Boo is already well aware of it, Eddie, because what do you think I do when I'm at home with the cat? I just sit around and read off Guinness Book of World Records to him. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I'm like, Boo, do you actually know the size of the world's largest cat? You know the world's oldest cat just died at the age of 22? You know the world's oldest chicken died the other day. Oh, my god! Did he really? R.I.P. Peanut, 21. Man. Peanut? Yep. That's the headline. World's oldest chicken, comma, peanut, comma, dies age 21. Interestingly enough, that's actually the dish now, right? Uh, on the show today, by the way, coming up 1 o'clock, Eric Edholm is going to join us. We'll get his latest on the NFL power rankings, where he has the Colts, and just overall his thoughts on where the Colts stand, things heading into the postseason, I do think they're going to get in, but we'll talk about that. Jordan Cornette going to join us at 2 o'clock today, talk a little college basketball, including last night, which we'll get into next, and that is what Purdue did right, and if there's any area of concern for the Boilermakers. Hard to say when you've only got one loss and you're ranked number one, but there is one thing that if you were going to nitpick, which I'll do next, that you would try to tweak about the Boilers. We'll get into that conversation. It's Corey and Company here on a Wednesday that I thought was a Thursday, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I think Purdue is falling victim to two things, Jimmy. Neither of which is, well, one's kind of bad. The other's not bad at all. The other's a good problem to have. The first would be this. I kind of feel like Purdue doesn't get a lot of like spark or or conversation at this point because we are so accustomed to what they're doing. Yes. They're ranked number 1, they go on the you know, they go on the road they're playing Maryland, who, you know, I, Maryland's not exactly world beaters, but they're physical and they're, you know, it's a it's a proud program and they're they got a coach that, you know, that's been around a long time and and they basically jump out and right away they let it be known, here's exactly what we're gonna do. And you and everybody knows what their formula is, and you can't stop it. You can't do anything against Zach. You, you just can't do it, right? And so then we start to kind of nitpick. Because we're just used to the success they have and getting out to huge starts and having dominant pre-conference schedules and records and then getting ranked number one and and staying up towards the top and being probably a number one seed in the tournament, knock on wood, that it, so that everybody, if, that everybody stays healthy. Now, the downside to that, the drawback, the, the detriment, if you will, is that there also the other side of that would be not only from the general public, but also from Purdue fans specifically. And that is, look, I've seen this movie before. I've seen it. And I don't like the way it ends. So talk to me like, wake me up on St. Patrick's Day. Which, by the way, is on a Sunday this year. Do you know that? Really? So if St. Patrick's Day is on a Sunday, do you still do the fast the festivities on Sunday or do they does everything get pushed to Monday? I think a lot of it gets pushed to you think so? Saturday, right? Or Saturday, yeah, yeah. But like like well, yeah, the parade to be It turns into like when Halloween's on a weekday, right? You have it the most closest weekend to it without passing it. That's probably true. Yeah. But at any rate, I think there are a lot of Purdue fans that are like, hey, I you know, I'm I'm still I've just got like a PTSD from, and I don't need to list off all the teams, you know. And I think the the college basketball world maybe thinks that. Yeah, this is great, but are they going to do it again? Are they going to flame out again? I don't think they're going to. But, they, but so when they're doing and humming along and winning games at this point, that's what you say to yourself is like, okay, I mean, great. 
But let's find things that are of concern, if you will. One of them would be, and I don't know that this is a huge concern because you win by 14 on the road. Zach Eady leads you, you know, double-double again, gets 23. But the one area that was their boogaboo in the tournament, and they weren't terrible last night, 9-20 from three-point range. I mean, it's survivable. But Lance Jones, who's one of the guys that you brought in, in hopes to kind of alleviate, pull things away from, add a little bit of relief, if you will, for Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith on nights when things aren't going their way or like on nights when Fairleigh Dickinson decides, you know what, we're just going to pack out there and let Edie get his 35 and we're going to make your guards beat us with outside shooting. You can't have a guy like Lance Jones last night who was brought in to kind of help that out and go three for 10 from three-point range. Now, that's me finding a thing to nitpick about but jimmy is that a valid concern not as much as it was a year ago when multiple people myself included were looking at their roster looking at what they were doing at times during losses and realizing this team cannot beat you from beyond the arc they don't have the confidence to do it if you double and triple team zach Eady, eventually it's gonna bite them now i didn't think it was gonna happen in the first round i thought it would happen at some point along the journey to what they hope would be a Final Four National Championship season. It happened in round one. It's been well documented. We understand that. This year, they've gotten light years better across the board, whether it's what Trey Kaufman Red's been able to do, whether it's Braden Smith, whether it's Fletcher Lawyer, the list goes on, of players that are able to take pressure off of Zach Eady. It is a valid concern because all you have to dissect this year in the very young season is one loss on the road against Northwestern, and they've lost there now for two straight seasons, largely because Boo Booey exists, and largely because they had the same issues that plagued them in the tournament pop up in Northwestern. They went 5 of 19 from beyond the arc. That's 26% for those you keep in score at home. And they let Northwestern shoot 50% from beyond the arc. They hit 10 threes. They lost in overtime. Like, that's what it took. To beat them. Did you have written down that that was 26% or did you compute that in your head that quickly? Um, He's looking at a box score. All off the cuff. Looking at a box score. Much like you with the bamboo, it was all all up here. Oh, I guarantee you. He's looking at a box score. You know, give me a number off the top of your head, Eddie. Four. Give me a bigger number than four. 17. 17. Give me a number smaller than 17 off the top of your head, Eddie. Or Jimmy. 34. Oh, smaller than 17. Smaller. Five. Oh, my five. word. I thought, you said, I thought you said larger. My bad. Sorry. Five. So five of 17 would be what percent? That's my question for you. Five of 17 would be what percentage? Well, that's less than a third, so you're looking at below 30. Go. So that's about 28%. I, I think that's right. I would go I would go with, let's see, uh, a third would be, 50. you said five, right? Yeah. It's going to be 29. You are correct. Yeah. 29.4. Again, did you see any mathematics going on? By the way, my buddy Paul the Mailman, who is the man of the score. people. Paul the Mailman knows because he's the he's the master of Is this director of giddiness, Paul the Mailman? Believe it or not, I know two mailmen, both named Paul. I didn't know which one you were talking director about Director of giddiness so. and then also Paul the Mailman, who is the man of the people of Fletcher Place, lets me know that the St. Patrick's Day Parade is Friday, March 15th. All right. Playing the weekend, though. How about that? Well, you got the kids got to skip school, right? Oh yeah. You you know that um, I was once when I worked here. 
I was in the St. Patrick's Day parade, not in it, but like we marched along, like handing out stuff to kids. And I guess I can say this now. I don't think it's going to get anybody in trouble because there was no no malintent. Uh, Denny Smith, who, of course, you hear on WIBC, great dude. Denny Smith's one of the greatest guys on, on the planet. Uh, Denny had bought a bunch of chocolates. I think he was like maybe invested in a chocolate company that was like good for the environment or good for wildlife. And they were little chocolate, like chocolate squares. Sure. Just like Ghirardelli chocolate squares, except for that they were coined. They were chocolate coins. And they came in little Gold square rapper. packages. Oh, square pack. Okay. All right. And he's like, hey, I've got candy you can hand out to the kids. Perfect. Except for that it's predominantly Catholic school kids in the St. Patrick's Day parade. And then suddenly somebody asks why we're handing out prophylactics. And I have to admit, it looked exactly like a package of prophylactics. <laughs> and, and it was quite the PR nightmare. People were very angry at me. Well, not only that, you're you're a grown adult giving candy to... <laughs> <laughs> In the context, that was important. Eddie, there's an entire holiday built around that. Are you kidding me? That's true. Eight eight months and two weeks after that, that's kids knock at the door for exactly that. Uh, Yeah, good point. There was a quote that I, if I'm reading, because I was obviously we saw the game, but additionally, Purdue sends out their game notes. They send out the post game comments, and I believe this quote is from last night. If not, it is in the past year. It's from Zach Eady. Reference to them losing to Fairleigh Dickinson a year ago but the fact that he's not surprised by what they've done so far this season. Quote, the way the season ended, I think a lot of people counted us out. We were a number one seed. We were one of the best teams in the country for a bunch of weeks and returned everybody. He is right. I want to make it clear. And this is not going to be a thing where, like, I, I think Matt Painter is an exceptional coach. And I am envious of everything that he does as an IU alum because the sustained success that they have had, as dominant as they've been in conference, is incredible and it deserves a tip of the cap. I do not look at this Purdue team and think they should do anything less than make a Final Four or win a national championship. I think they are one of maybe the best team in the country. They're going to be the number one overall seed by the time it's all said and done. I don't look at them and think, oh, they're going to stub their toe again. I believe they should finally break through whether that is hanging I, a I'd Final agree. Four or national championship banner. I don't look at them and say, oh, this is just a team that's just going to do it all over again. I know a lot of the Purdue fan base does, and rightfully so, because there's a lot of scar tissue there. But I look at them and I see a nearly complete team that outside of them them having a bad shooting night, which are few and far between this year from where they were a year ago, they are nearly unstoppable. You know what's interesting, Jimmy? We, we mentioned this the other day. Eddie, I'll put you on the spot. Eddie Garrison. Okay. Going kind of on the way back, admittedly, when you think about most famous college basketball teams mm-hmm. in terms of like the roster – and like names of a roster and the most, I don't mean like, you know, the UCLA team with Kareem. I mean, like in terms of like a name, like Phi Slamma Jamma, like what's the most famous of the last 35 years, 30 years? Ooh. You mentioned them the other day when we were talking about pro college programs that are good in football and basketball. And you're like, well, in basketball, there's this. And you mentioned this group of players from the Big Ten that are Michigan? Correct. The Fab Five. Yeah. Everyone talks about the Fab Five, right? Yep. Fab Five, greatest team, Fab Five, this, but you know what the Fab Five won? Nothing. Zip. Zero. They didn't win a Big Ten. They went to a Final Four twice as, as a group of five. They went to the Final Four twice. They got beat in the national championship game. And they got beat in the, well, twice, national title game, right? They didn't win anything. 
but the the retroactively we remember the overall totality of their and they were great. There's no doubt. But, but they didn't they, win anything, but they're great. But they were also in a lot of levels, which is so hard to do in today's basketball world. They were culturally defining. Well, on there's so no many question. Levels, I mean, there's right? no you comparing. You know that. I mean, you of course lived it, right? Of course. There's no comparing. But what I'm saying is, retroactively, people remember them as as having won yeah. multiple titles, and they didn't. But but it doesn't take away from the 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 amount of greatness they had throughout sure. the regular seasons, and they were very very good. I mean, they were very very good. So. 15 years, years from now, correct. When you look 15 back years at from Purdue. now, people look back on Purdue at this era and go, man, that was really something. But for right now, you've got to be able to cap it with, at the very least with a Final Four run, right? Yeah. I mean, Michigan at least went to the Final Four in 92 and 93, right? So they went to Minneapolis, they went to New Orleans, they got beat in 92 in the national title game, they got blown out by Duke 93, they come back in the timeout game against North Carolina. Right. But And neither one of us here, this is not an axe Heads will roll like, oh, if, if Purdue Correct. doesn't make the Final Four this year, Matt Painter's... That's not what this is. But to be remembered in the next class of, like, all-time great teams, some type of banner, Final Four or National Championship otherwise, has to be there. Otherwise, it is a regionalized remembrance. And by that, I mean, you go to a Final Four or you win a national title you get referred to in the national lexicon versus if Purdue loses in the Sweet 16 this year and then you fast forward 10 or 15 years from now and you look back at this era and there's still no banners to show for it, you will remember dominance in the Big Ten. You won't think dominance nationally. And that's not to say that's necessarily a bad thing, but it just impacts how you're remembered on the global scale. The My buddy Mike Stevens pointed this out, which is a really good point. Purdue's problem has been outlier teams that just play different than things that they've seen. It's a tribute to the Big Ten. Correct. Well, the the Big Ten in general, that's always been the knock, What's right? has been the story, right? You beat the tar out of one another. For- but Purdue has gone out and beaten Arizona and Gonzaga yeah. and you know teams like that. But then you get some team that just comes, you know, Fairleigh Dickinson last year, you remember when their coach was caught on camera saying, Look, right. we think Purdue's beatable, and we're gonna and everybody. I mean, the guy got run out of the laughed out of the building, right? Correct, because of the precedent, because of what Purdue is. I mean, but to be clear, I think that FDU would have had that same mentality had it been Gonzaga that they were playing the next round, right? It wasn't just right. exclusively totally. because it was Purdue. But there probably is some truth to the fact that Purdue, if there was going to be a knock on Matt Painter, it would be. That Purdue has had an a difficulty, inability is the wrong word, but they've had a difficulty. Great guard in play and great shooters properly adjusting their style. Yeah. If yeah. there's somebody that comes in that is a completely different look for them, and I feel like at least offensively, I'm not saying this is the recipe to get to a Final Four, but right now this isn't the bar for them. But the first like. You always talk about how if there's a player that's struggling and you feel like you just see one go in, then they're going to snowball and everything's going to take effect. That's Purdue to some extent in whoever they draw in the first weekend of the tournament. And you feel like maybe once you get past what has been this boogeyman of, uh uh-oh, it's a 15 or 16 seed, look out. Once they get past that, the thought is they'll be okay. And I feel like they are more equipped this year from a gross standpoint of everybody on that roster to the mission that they're on 
that it's not going to be as clean cut as, oh, well, all you have to do is triple team Zach Eady and no one else is going to beat you. I don't think they're that team this year. You know part of what I think could happen with them? Tom Izzo was kind of the master at this. You know, Tom Izzo had that group with Mateen Cleaves and, and Morris Peterson. They win the title. And then in other years, Michigan State would be a number one seed, a can't miss, death taxes, and Tom Izzo in March, and then they would get beat, like in the regional finals. And just when you would like write it off, then all of a sudden, with like a Chris Hill group that's an eight seed, they go to the final four. Like I could see Purdue if it doesn't happen for them this year. Watch Purdue this year if they fall short again and they get beat, let's say, you know, like in the second round, maybe even the Sweet 16. And then all of a sudden, like three years from now, they're 22 and nine and a five seed and they go to the final four. That's because Matt Painter knows what he's doing because they have a good culture established because he's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. Like, I'd agree with that. Yes. And, and that's the other thing that's lost in all this. Oftentimes in society, whether it's instant gratification or whether it's just getting lost in season by season versus the t- totality of a long run at the helm of a university, it gets lost that the more, naturally speaking, right, Jake, the more at batch you get, eventually you think you're going to break through. And I know that that's the cycle Purdue fans have been in the last five or six years is this is the team. No, this is the team. No, this is the team. But if nothing else, and there's been way more than this, but if nothing else, the bare minimum, Matt Painter has shown he's going to get you multiple bites at this apple, even though it's come at a cost of sometimes coming up drastically short. You know one thing I, I, I learned today and discovered today that's fascinating? What's that? If you go to the Tag Heuer website and you click on any particular watch in order to get a, a better scope of it, uh, it actually resets and the watch comes up on your screen showing the exact real time right now in your time zone and it ticks. That's clever. So like I literally just pulled it up to find out exactly what time it is and you know exactly what it says to me right here as I'm looking at it? Uh, 1248. It says time for a break. Raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm fascinated by this Tag Heuer site. Am I the only one fascinated by that, you think, Jimmy? Well, it's because you have a watch problem. I do. I'm not a huge fan of Tag Heuer's, but they have an Indy 500 watch. But I don't like the design of the the most recent one. I want to get one eventually. I feel like I probably should have one. But An Indy 500 one like they do it every correct, year correct okay. correct well i don't know if they do it every year but they have you know for several years they had an indy 500 one that said formula one it said formula one and then it had the ims which i technically for a long time the indianapolis 500 was a formula one scoring race so mm. I, you know to be technical but i showed you it's pretty cool right like yes. you click on any watch design it comes up and then it resets to the actual legitimate you know what i should actually this is an easier way to tell the time than it is to look at this clock in the studio <laughs> quite frankly 
This is actually easier. I'll just use well, uh, Mr. Query. We, we we had HR look at some things. When you're on the air, why are you looking at a watch website the entire time? Well, it's an easy clock, right? Well, you've heard of John's sports arousals. Jake gets watch arousals. <laughs> I mean, look, this is more a web design arousal, I suppose, because it's exquisite. Like, Tag Heuer, the amount of detail they have on the website to the watches and it running in real time is impressive. I'll tip the cap. Now, would I have ever thought of that without you? No, not a chance. Eddie, just so you know, this year was the first holiday season. Were you going to get a watch for Christmas? I did not ask for nor receive cologne nor purchase. Wow. Usually when I'm Christmas shopping, I buy myself a bottle of cologne this year, and I decided that I might actually start scaling back. Now, is this because you realize that you have almost every bottle out there yes. and you, you can't I realize that anymore? I now have, like, I could live to be, I literally, I could live to be Yoda and, like, you know, smell good I would, but Hold I on. would run out of time, right? Yeah, that was my follow-up. Eddie already asked it, which was, if there was a shortage of fragrance- would you be able to be a Macy's of your own? Yes. Okay. All right. Do you know, by the way, or did you know, Jimmy, th- this is probably knowledge that everybody knows. He's got like 43 bottles. I've seen a picture. <laughs> Do you know what Yoda and Fozzie Bear have in common? Eddie, I'm going to do my best not to give a laugh to this because I assume it's going to be corny. No, I don't. Go ahead. I, I, honestly. This I, is real. This is not a joke. This is a real this fact. This is for real. Okay. I, right, I didn't know it, if this me. was like common knowledge in the Star Wars world. Eddie, do you know? Nope. Okay, I'm going to go one step further with it. Ernie, from Burton Ernie. Familiar with their work. Ernie, Fozzie Bear, Yoda. What do they have in common? Are they all played by the same person? Voiced? All voiced by Frank Oz, that's correct. How about that? All voiced by the same guy. Even though Fozzie Bear, the greatest, I refuse, refuse, refuse to accept that Fozzie Bear is a fictional character. I would love Fozzie Bear as a roommate. I think Fozzie Bear is the coolest character of all time. Yoda's cool, but Fo- but he's no Fozzie, man. All right, Fozzie so, wears a tie and a hat. He's awesome. All right, Eddie, so put uh, Fozzie Bear cameo on the future birthday <laughs> list for Jake Query. That exists that somewhere. That would be the greatest <laughs> thing ever. That would be the greatest thing ever. Eric Edholm is next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. What a journey it's been for the Colts this season. Win or go home opportunity, win and you're in opportunity. Against the Texans on Saturday night, what a journey it's been on this program with our next guest. It started out with controversy about where he had the Colts ranked well the way back in the early waning portions of this season, week two, week three, perhaps. And now here we are with a one game to punch the ticket conversation with our next guest. He is Eric Edholm of NFL.com. You find his weekly power rankings, of course, his draft coverage as well throughout the offseason. Perhaps that is our next conversation, but let's live in the here and now. Eric, how are you? Happy New Year. 
What a journey, first of all, not only the Colts have had, but that, that we have had, right? Now, obviously, going through my <laughs> the, uh, the the travails of my rankings, and I, I give credit to the Colts fans who saw what I didn't see at times early in the year, and I've always, I guess, been a little bit ambivalent about them. But yeah, they've they've proved me wrong more than uh, more than not. I would say, Eric, I want to begin with this from my standpoint in terms of. Over the course of the year, you know, the NFL season to me is fascinating, and you know this, Eric, in terms of the peaks and the valleys. I mean, teams can – there are times – you know, there are teams like in October that people are like, good Lord, give them the Lombardi now, and then by December they're nowhere to be found, and vice versa. Who have been – we'll go AFC, NFC both, okay? Who have been the two most consistent teams? I'm not even saying consistently the best, but the two teams that have just been the most consistent in their course of play – in each conference. Yeah, it's got, I think it has to be the Ravens and Niners. And right, I mean, they just so happens they're number one and two. I mean, because, you know, even with losing at home to the Colts, you could kind of see in that game, like there were, there were plenty of opportunities for them to have won the game and they just missed them. I mean, it was, you know, like not hopping on a couple of fumbles and, you know, just some strange things. I'm not taking anything away from Indy in that game, but, you know, that game and the, the loss, to the Browns at home, you know, again, very winnable games. I guess they could have also lost to the Rams in overtime at home. But, you know, I've just seen steady growth from them throughout the season. I don't think they've had any horrific performances. Maybe the, the game at Pittsburgh you look at and say, okay, that was, a, that was an off day for sure after a good start. San Francisco, even with the three-game losing streak, even by even with getting – blasted by the Niners, I mean, by the uh, Ravens a couple weeks ago, you know, two of those three games that they lost in a row could have won. It was, you know, it was right there. Again, I didn't think either one of those were horrific, terrible, concerning performances. Um, You would say that the Cincinnati game and the Baltimore game were probably the two where they looked the least likely to win, the least prepared, whatever you want to say, the least potent. I think those are the answers. Philly was looking great for a while the last month has obviously not gone according to plan one and four in december uh one and two at home in december you know it's i don't know that there's a real other candidate i would give the colts a lot of credit they'd be pretty high up on that list as far as you know keeping their head above water when there were plenty of reasons for them to to think a little bit. So, you know, I, if, if that was our power rankings list this week, they'd be probably a little higher than than what their, their current number is. After they had that win against the Bills, and you referenced this in the power rankings, but after the Philadelphia Eagles had the win over the Bills, you had them ranked number one. You highlight the fact that it looked like it was going to be a Jalen Hurts MVP season, and they're 10-1. And, and I know you highlighted just a little brief with their, their struggles. As you've looked back at everything – with where you have them now, what went wrong with Philadelphia? And you asked this question in your piece on NFL.com. Are they cooked? Is, is it done? Yeah. I mean, I think you you can clearly look at uh, an offense scoring points inconsistently um, the last four or five games. I know they put up, what, 30 on the – 30-something on the Giants. They obviously put uh, 37 in overtime on, against the, the Bills. But – uh, not being able to finish drives. And then look what some good backs have done to them recently, especially James Conner on Sunday. But that run defense was sort of held up as 
the saving grace of the defense for a long time this season. Well, at least we have that, right? The secondary is a little bit of a mess. We'd, we'd love the pass rush to be a little bit more uh, potent, more like it was last year when they had 70 sacks, 72, whatever the number was. But, yeah, I mean, it, it just hasn't been the same. Uh, and that run defense has really kind of deteriorated the last three, four games. So, they don't have much to hang their hats on defensively right now. And with all that talent, even with some not playing, I mean, the corners haven't held up the way you'd expect two veterans uh, in Slay and Bradbury. You know, safety's been kind of a, a whirlwind linebacker. They've had to go off the street and bring back guys that, you know, that, that they'd either moved on from or other, you know, were, were street free agents at that point just to fill holes, you know, so it's been a little bit bizarre, you know, for for a team that good. We saw it obviously with the Bills, you know, firing their offensive coordinator, but the Eagles, you know, demoting Sean Desai and bringing Matt Patricia into that role. I mean, it, that felt like a pretty desperate move, even if the first game it looked like a, the right move at least for the first fifty-eight minutes. So. When you start seeing teams make those kind of moves, it's obviously going to go one way or the other. With the Bills, they've, they've, they've thrived. With the Eagles, they have not. Eric, when you look at the postseason, and I think people around here with the Colts and some of the high-flying offenses that they've seen with the Colts over the years and then go in and kind of get clamped down in bad weather in New England, and, you know, there's so many factors that come into play. But I think defenses – change a little bit or, or, or get tighter in the postseason, the style of play maybe alters based on the weather. Which team amongst the elites is the most susceptible to falling victim to something like that because offensively as good as they've been, they are the least flexible? Yeah, I mean, I look at a team like the Dolphins. I mean, it's obviously, you know, they're in a position where they have to win to, to secure the division, and that's going to be a big one. I mean, as I wrote for them this week, it's hard to imagine them going back to Baltimore in a few weeks and just saying, okay, we'll, we'll put 56 to, to, to whatever behind us, and we're just going to roll in different game, different de- – you know. That didn't look like a close matchup. That didn't look like the kind of thing where, okay, if they played ten times, Miami could win four of them. No, I didn't, I didn't think that at all. I mean, after the first, you know, 18, 20 minutes of the game anyway. So, yeah, it just – they they concern me. Obviously, the, the the volatility coming into this game, they'll know a little more by the time we get to Sunday night. But, you know, I don't know if they're a, a, a paper tiger or if they're, you know, somehow saving up their best for postseason. I would probably lean towards the former. In big situations outside of that Dallas game, they've more, you know, more often than not come up small. So, they're, they're a team that obviously the, the schedule's really lined up well for them as far as who they play and when. Um, and, you know, all AFC teams have the, the added bonus of the home game this year. But, yeah, yeah I just – I don't know. I don't see them surviving a, a, a pretty deep and dangerous field, especially with, with potential wild cards like Buffalo and Cleveland that, you know, you could make a case for them being able to get to, to the Super Bowl. Eric Edholm is our guest. Eric, your opinion this Saturday evening, primetime game, Colts-Texans, winners in. C.J. Stroud, is he still a rookie quarterback or is he at this point experienced enough and unflappable enough that we got to put that aside? Yeah, had he not missed a couple of games, obviously we're, you know, we're, we're probably treating the situation a little differently if he hadn't missed any time. But, 
Yeah, he's obviously, even though, you know, the the best rookie season ever talk and all that has kind of dwindled a little bit, obviously. But he's a different dude, man. And, and I think he's going to come in completely focused and ready to go. I picked the Colts to win this game just because I felt like it's going to be close. It's going to, you know, the home field I think is going to matter. Houston has some some other warts they're worried about. They're not a complete team either. Um, you know, Colts have, you know, not every game, but have taken care of business at times at home. So I think they're going to they're going to be in a good position if Jonathan Taylor's healthy and ready to go. But yeah, Stroud's no ordinary rookie, and like he said, by this point, it's just a designation. It's just a uh, matter of record because I think he is a pretty precocious young guy who doesn't just. It doesn't rattle in the face of pressure. We saw it against Georgia in the, in the in the playoff game last year, and we've seen it for the most part. You know, outside of a couple of games, I wouldn't say he's he's looked out of place at all. So it's a tough matchup, no doubt about it. When you say that you favor Indianapolis, is that based on venue? Venue's part of it for sure. I mean, I you know it's going to take a lot for for Houston to have. I think a complete 60 minutes on defense, depending on who's healthy. You know, they, they've got some injuries, obviously, like everybody else at this point. Um, you know, and Stroud can, can bail them out of some bad situations, too, but doesn't have the full firepower of that offense either. Uh, Nico's good, but, you know, they don't have their full complement of playmakers. And, again, I think if you get down to a one-game situation, I know Taylor was kind of in and out of the game last week. I mean, when he was in there, he looked good. And you ask a guy to carry the load for a night, I think he can do it and, and be a difference maker. So, you know, a lot of things have obviously changed since that first matchup. I don't know how much we can even really glean from it. it looked, these are two different teams than when they met last time. Eric Edholm, NFL.com, is our guest. You can find his power rankings right there throughout the entire regular season. Of course, does great work year-round, especially with his draft coverage. Eric, you mentioned the injuries on both sides where is the injury report more critical for either side? Is it with the Colts hopefully getting back Kenny Moore, or is it, as you mentioned, more supporting cast help potentially coming back in the trenches for Will Anderson Jr. for that Texans defensive line? Yeah, I mean, Anderson's been in and out of the lineup a little bit, and he's obviously been a huge difference maker when he's been there. But, you know, as you guys know, Kenny Moore, I mean, I don't think he's probably – you know, anyone appreciates him more than Colts fans do, but I love the guy. He's obviously just one of those players that seems to show up at the right time in the right place and make those those clutch plays. And, you know, was it the uh, – I guess it was the Panthers game. He kind of took over a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a – you know, he may not be quite the household name, but to that defense and what they ask for, yeah, he's, he's big. you got to have him out there, I think. So, you know – it's easy to look at, at some of the star power players and say, well, yeah, you got to have him healthy. But sometimes those those little, you know, differences in, in the depth chart can make a huge uh, impact on a game. So, yeah, I mean, formationally with, with what the Texans do, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll throw a lot at you. Bobby Slovak's done a really good job. Having that, that reliable inside-outside guy is, is crucial. Eric, let me ask you a question that I've asked a couple people in the last week, and it I'll admit it sounds like a, a digging for negativity. It's not that at all. I'm genuinely curious of this, though. Obviously, you would take, if you're the Colts, the situation that they're in. It's been a great year. 
you know, based on what the expectation was going in, nobody would have guessed when Anthony Richardson went down and Gardner Minshew, you know, that here you are. But this year from the beginning, Eric, I think you know this, was going to be all about the development of Anthony Richardson and building Mm -hmm. the right pieces and giving the patience necessary towards a franchise quarterback. Doing this with Gardner Minshew, has it in any way, shape, or form accelerated the pace without Richardson in there that could be detrimental to him next year? In other words, when he takes the keys back over and assuming he's healthy – is it possible that they have now gotten into habits that favor Gardner Minshew that would be adverse towards the way Anthony Richardson wants to play? Yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it in that, in that framework. And I mean, I, you know, it's a, I think it's a fair question to ask, and it's a, you know, it's a good sort of off-season lens through which to look at, you know, at the team. And, and there'll be expectations too, right? I mean, if, if you're saying, okay, if, if your backup went out and won, you know, got them to a – you know, let's say a ten and seven record in the playoffs, that also raises the expectations Correct. for Richardson and the pressure, if, right? Yeah, and what's essentially his rookie year, right? I mean, you know, I'm trying to think of other rookie quarterbacks in recent years who have either missed, you know, a large portion of their their rookie season, or uh, maybe didn't get in there till the very end, that sort of thing. And yeah, it, it, it's it's gonna it's gonna affect things one way or the other. Now we don't know what kind of off season the Colts are going to have, right? They've always sort of been a little bit cautious with spending and, you know, maybe they don't make those big splashy moves in the draft, but you never know. And obviously you want to see what the full picture looks like. Uh, you also want to see how he's doing in, you know, in terms of throwing and everything in the off season program. But yeah, I think there will be a, a level of expectation that, Hey, we've gotten kind of accustomed to, to working with the veteran and now, you've got to raise up to his level. You think Joe Flacco's got another month of magic in him? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, just from, a, you know, what a wild storyline this is. And, I, you know, I think all of us, I don't know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but most people would, would love to see what would happen. Flacco at Baltimore, at Lamar, in a playoff game. Last time they met, it was Deshaun. He goes on the IR a day or two later. I mean, you know, and Cleveland beat them last time there. That would be a great one. Obviously, on the flip side, Stafford going to Detroit. Goff against Stafford would be kind of the same equivalent. But the Flacco thing, nobody could have seen coming. I couldn't have. You know, the Jets didn't want him back after all their quarterback stuff. Right? It just – how do you expect him to, to do what he's doing with all the injuries the Browns have faced? So, I hope he's at least got a few more games of, of brilliance, and and that would be a, a sight to see. Eric Edholm of NFL.com joins us. Eric, since we probably won't talk to you again until we get time to looking at drafts and yeah. getting things ready for the combine, I'll put the cart before the horse. Let's say the Colts win on Saturday, but the Jaguars mm-hmm. win, so it's a it's a road playoff game for the Colts. Where do you see the best matchup for them looking at? I know there's so many different permutations of what could happen, but looking at where things stand right now, what's the best matchup if they have to go on the road in your mind? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you are they kind of you'll have to help me out here with the standings. Are they kind of locked into I would guess they can't get the five. So it's got to be either the six and seven if they don't win the division. Right. Yeah. So. I would say probably Jack. You know, if it was if it was possible, it would be Jacksonville. But I don't think that matchup can happen. So I, I guess Kansas City. 
crazy as it sounds, maybe Miami if they win the division. I've been saying that you know this Col- this Dolphins team doesn't really scare me anymore. You know, you, you guys said at the beginning of the hit we were talking about teams that looked amazing in October. Well, they were one of them. You know, we were crowning them the best offense of all time. It's not that. The defense has lost how many pieces now? So I would probably say a matchup at Miami would look pretty favorable. I mean, not to say that they are, you know, I mean, they're beatable. That's how I look at it. And I think especially if if Jalen Waddle's not full strength and considering everybody else they've lost on defense. Eric, when I was in college, I I got addicted to General Hospital. Um, Sure. Mostly because Vanessa Marcel was on it, but it, it was good. I, I got I got roped into the storylines and and missed a lot of class actually. But so so I'm not opposed to somebody falling in love with a soap is what I'm getting out of yeah. soap opera. Uh, what's the best soap opera in the NFL this year? Yeah, I thought you were going to ask me of all time. That would have that would have that would have been tough for me. I, I did watch Days of Our Lives when I was back in college. My See? girlfriend got me in the bat. So. There you go. Uh, I'm telling you, all it takes is a week to figure out the storylines, and there's no turning back. Right, exactly. You could pick it up a year later. <laughs> oh, that's still going on, right? <laughs> that's exactly uh, right. Best soap opera. I mean, boy, the the, the <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, the, the Jets thing has is, is been obviously kind of weird and different. Maybe we didn't see it the way we uh, – uh, I don't know if, if you count New England because I keep hearing there's a, there's a scenario where Belichick returns next year, although that would just be, you know, like adding – you know, uh, the, the writers decide, like, we have to build this guy's character back into the story. That would kind of have a, a soap-like quality to it. So maybe I'm missing a bigger one, but whatever drama there was in Pittsburgh – a few weeks ago is suddenly gone. I don't know how they've they've wiped the decks of it, even if this picket thing is hanging around for a little bit. That that's a pretty good one too. I mean the the Steelers have been very close to playing on the third rail all season, so that's uh that, that that's a good candidate too. I feel like Washington and Carolina are soap operas but they're on like the UPN network and so like people aren't necessarily aware of it but it's going on, right? They've been canceled, right? Yeah, you wish you know they would have gotten a second season and all that. But I mean, they're like you know what to bring it back to my days. Days when I was watching that show it was always followed by Passions, which may be the worst television show of all time. I'm not uh-huh. sure, but it was bad. That's kind of what I think. It's like watching you know a pretty good team with some drama early, and then having a, a really bad team with drama after that, and you think I'll just. I'll go do something else. I guess Washington would be capital. That was a soap opera that had a, a, a brief moment when I was a kid as well that I don't think was very good. But uh, okay. All right, Eric, your power rankings are out. They are available at NFL.com. I will not spoil it for Colts fans so that we encourage them to go and look at it, but I will tell them that I think Colts fans will be pleasantly surprised with the respect that you have given them this week within – current the rankings that you have and of course we will see what happens here in the final regular season game with the houston texans we appreciate the time as always and go back to days of our lives <laughs> i got them all recorded on dvr thank you fellas i like that thanks sir. you know the show that i've got uh, i've told you before the show that i have completely full on my dvr i've forgotten it hoarders that's right yeah i've got a never watched it but i have the all of them recorded. Uh, did you ever watch the Very Poppers? fitting, and thank you for not laughing at that. Excuse me? He's hoarding hoarders. That was good.
you got on me about that earlier. I know. I'm glad you didn't laugh at you're, that. You're that welcome. was bad. You're welcome. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, what <laughs> why he needed to laugh at it. Just a fact. Um, did you watch soap operas when you were a kid? Not really, no. I mean, Days of Our Lives, like, yeah, sure. Like, I've, I've seen an episode, but I'm, I'm good. My mom used to watch Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> Bold and the Beautiful. I... That was which ne- which network? Do you know? Nope. Tony General Hospital, man. I, I like that. That Robin t- also like like Vanessa Marcel was hot, but then there was Robin was really cute. Robin Quartermain was her last name on there. She was a cute girl. Do you want to know the only thing that I took away in terms of childhood from soap operas? This happened to a lot of people, especially like mid two thousand when you're buying a television and you're watching just a normal movie. You've probably seen fifty times, but you're looking at it, it's like this looks really like too real why does it look this way and you'd find out your tv had turned on what's called soap opera effect and it makes the shots look more like that clear direct like really? it, yes that's that's the biggest takeaway that well, I, I know that usually once a year during colts games there will be people there, you'll see a bunch of people that will be tweeting and they're like why is my why is this game in spanish like what's going on with the network? And it's like you you toggled something on your TV and didn't right. realize it. There really is a, an option on your TV. Yeah, I don't know how it's labeled nowadays, but like you could be watching a movie that you've seen dozens of times, and if that setting was queued up visually, it would look different because of just the the way they actually shoot film. It it, it takes away one of the barriers of. Well, that's kind of fun. Immersion. That's like our conversation yesterday. Yeah, I, Carolina to me is a soap opera based on like what a jackass is that owner, right? Oh yeah, gets fined three hundred grand for throwing a drink at Jacksonville fans after an interception in their game on Sunday. I, you know, I have no time for David Tepper. I'm good. I mean, Nick right. Yeoman, who's a buddy of mine, is a diehard Panthers fan, and I mean, he is totally over him. You know, they've gone through multiple coaches. I, the Bryce Young thing looks to be a disaster. Especially considering, can you imagine? Now, Bryce Young is not Ryan Leaf. Don't get me wrong, but it is when you have the only thing, the only curse that comes with having the number one overall pick and being able to have your pick of quarterbacks is have it be in a year where there's more than one option. Yeah. Because it's just such a, and I mean, to be fair. And it's not like they were bad and got that pick, right? You gave up assets to do it, and then you botched it. Correct. They traded up to get it, yeah. Like, they would be the first overall pick this year, and said Chicago holds that, right? Like, it's a it's a, it's a a double whammy in terms if of If you were Chicago, do you hold on to that and take Caleb Williams or Drake May, or do you stay with Justin Fields and build around him? I saw somebody suggest that they should trade it with Washington, Get Washington's third overall pick and their first overall pick next season. So that being the 2025 first over uh, first round pick, and then get back their second round pick that they traded for Montez Sweat. <laughs> I am uh, I'm not fully sold on May because then you would be in the position for Marvin Harrison it. Jr. Still, yeah, I'm not fully sold on May. About halfway through the season, I thought, yeah, definitely Caleb Williams, and then his struggles late. I would look at the highest bidder, see what's there. And if not, then I would, if you don't get an offer, I'd build around Justin Do you Fields. put any stock in this? USC, okay, we'll do this in fact or fiction mode. USC is one of the three most prestigious and historic college football programs in America. Fact or fiction? Fact. Yeah, I would agree. That's fact. Um, Carson Palmer is USC's best professional quarterback. 
This is where we get into history, and I don't want to like axe off somebody from 50 years ago that I'm forgetting. But in terms of my lifetime, 30 years, like, yeah, it's I, I think it's fact. Yeah. I mean, you have other guys that have come around, you know, Pat Hayden, Matt Leinart, Rob Johnson. I mean, there have been guys that have come through, but for whatever reason, being a quarterback out of USC has not equated yeah, into I, automatic success. Now, I don't th- subscribe to that. I, I don't either. That's what past. I was going to say. So yeah. What does that have to do with Caleb Williams? Doesn't right? matter. Texas Tech was not known for high level, like generational quarterbacks. Then Mahomes comes along, right? Like it's 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 less about the university the and more about being, the prospect. The difference being USC is known for high generational quarterbacks, and yet that's fair. Yeah, I mean Alabama's. I don't know if it's like the style of play that they do. I mean. It is hard to say, Jimmy, to your point, because I'm in agreement with you. Yeah. What does what does 1985 college football have to do with it? Nothing, right? But it's easy to fall victim to that. Yes. It's easy to fall victim and go and think about it. Now, in Caleb Williams' case, I think what you would have to look at is, okay, he had great games and great moments against Arizona. What was he doing against? defenses that were running a similar style and or similar skill set to what he is going to see on Sundays. That That's a better assessment. What He's I would do if I'm clearly Chicago, a wonderful talent. Yeah. What I would do if I'm Chicago, and again, this is definitely April talk, but what I would do if I'm Chicago, same thing I did last year. If you get a team, a bad team, like somebody else is there, like let's say New England, I don't know. Surely Carolina's not dumb enough to do that again. But like a New England or somebody like that or an Arizona, and they want to give you, let's say they have pick four, they want to give you four and a first rounder next year to move up to one? Yeah, sure, why not? Because I think that that team's going to be just as bad as they were a year from now. Like if you're interested in getting more draft capital and building around fields, I'm all about it. I'm not necessarily sold yet at this point on them punting on fields. A big one for the Pacers tonight. Is it a rivalry game? Probably a little bit. We discussed that earlier, but we'll get more into what they have upcoming here because if you've ever been whitewater rafting in West Virginia, the gauntlet's about to get rough for the Pacers. We'll explain next. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Is Natalie something? No, that's Vanessa Carlton. That's right, that's right. This is the video where she's just like sitting on a piano, like driving around, right? Yeah. Decent song, though. A Thousand Miles, yeah. Um, Is that how far she's driving? Yeah, I guess so. That's twice as far as the Proclaimers, right? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just agreeing. They were walking, though. Yeah, they were on foot, five hundred miles, then five hundred more. Yep. Those poor fellows were not exactly um, nice-looking guys, right? Those I would. I've, I've never seen them, so would not know. You know the song, right? Yeah, I, I do. would walk five. Yeah. yeah, big big Coke bottle glasses. Guys. Makes me think of Identity Theft, the movie. Ba-da-da. 
How about Rodney right, Pete? Somebody chimed in. Rodney Pete is he better than Carson Palmer? I think Carson Palmer was a better quarterback than Rodney Pete, right? Probably. I mean, nice player, but I would put Carson Palmer. Give him the hand there. Uh, Pacers in action tonight. And Eddie, you had mentioned the the schedule gets real for him, right? To use a term the kids say. Yeah, yeah. So uh, between this month and the start of Feb, uh, sixteen. Uh, what was it? Sixteen. I think it was sixteen. Sixteen of the twenty-three games that the Pacers play are against teams above five hundred or playoff teams. They've already played one this month. It was eleven of fifteen. So uh, they've got number two tonight with Milwaukee coming to town. The Bucks are an interesting matchup for the Pacers because I, I think most would agree that the Bucks are the better team. But the Pacers obviously, you know, I mean, you look at what they've done against them, play well against them and match up well against them. I, I think anybody would take Damian Lillard and Giannis. I mean, maybe not over Halliburton, but, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, that one-two combo is obviously pretty dynamic. And and Middleton is a really good player. I mean, he's really like his ability, pardon the pun, to get to the middle of the lane or to get mid-range and score is also a challenge. But it seems, Jimmy, does it not like Indiana has more depth almost at this point? Like, you know, I just think they've gotten some guys that have emerged here that have given them a lot of flexibility to be able to. It's really interesting if you look at games with the Pacers that they play and the ebb and flow of the opposition in terms of leads and and the margin throughout, you feel confident because you feel like at the end of game, the Pacers are going to have an advantage in the fact that they're probably going to have five fresher guys on the floor when it comes down to making big plays because of the fact that they can just kind of wave people through. And I'm not sitting here saying they're so great that they've got a second unit that, you know, their second unit could finish, be a five seed. I'm not saying that, but they do have not a lot of drop-off at virtually any position. You know what I mean? I mean, no matter who you're talking about on the floor, whoever is coming in to spell them is giving you probably 70% of what that player gives you, other than maybe Halliburton, right? It's why I value so much these little mini season series, especially when they're in close proximity to one another, because you're basically going... It's like game two to game three, effectively, right? You have the day off in between if you're trying to simulate playoff environment for what the Pacers win over the weekend was versus what tonight represents, or earlier this week, rather. For me, when I look at Milwaukee, I look at a team that has veteran pieces that I don't want to say are like coasting through the regular season necessarily because I feel like these games, and especially the in-season tournament, did matter to them. But there's certain things over the course of a seven-game series that at this point, I don't know if it's a Pacers-Bucks series can be replicated. For example, if the Pacers, over the course of a seven-game series, if we're simulating things out, were to hold Damian Lillard to under 15 points a game in a playoff series, yes, I would take the Pacers probably seven out of ten of those series. Because that's why they traded for him, is his scoring and his ability to keep them in this championship window, among other things. The other aspect of it is the Pacers, yes, they're very deep, but oftentimes 
that doesn't matter as much in the postseason because of A, the level of defense that's played, and B, the shortening of rotations. And the question is, when you get to the playoffs in April, where are the Pacers at, both from this new defensive look we've seen from them the last couple of games, and where are they at in terms of the structure of their rotation? Tonight, in that quick little two-game series turnaround of getting a second crack at Milwaukee, having already beaten them on the road, where do the Bucks adjust? That's the most fascinating area for me of this game, Jake, is where do the Bucks change and adjust things, and how much are they going to show differently than they did a couple nights ago against Indiana? The biggest area, I think, like, Damian Lillard, I think he goes for like 30 tonight. Like, I think it's a big Damian Lillard level performance unless the Pacers have really figured out something with him defensively in this matchup. If you were going to shorten up the Pacers rotation, okay? So if we're, if we're going to do it right now, you've got obviously Halliburton, right? you got Buddy Heald. You've got Miles Turner. Neesmith. Stop me when I say a name that is one that you're like, okay, that's a guy that in the later in the year you start, you know, that that, that moves his way down. Okay, okay. Um, Matherin, Nimhard. Who am I missing out of the starters here? Halliburton, Heald, Turner, Neesmith. Well, Matherin, I mean, if you're going off of what they've Nimhard. done the last couple, you're looking at like that good combo of Smith, so Neesmith, at- Turner, Nimhard, Halliburton. Yep. Right. So Smith, Neesmith, Turner, Nemhart, Halliburton. I mean, by the way, I think that's something oh, we haven't Bruce Brown. talked about. Yeah, Either, and that's there you tough go. too. He gets lost. As that's well. something we haven't talked about. Is like they've won four straight without Bruce Brown, and this the starting lineup has been much better. I think Brown. So when he comes back, what do you do with him? Well, and here's the thing about you play Brown him as a six man. Yeah, the like thing about Brown that has, I think, altered from what they anticipated is this. Brown is a good on-ball defender, but they have asked him to be a good on-ball defender at times against players that are at a different or bigger position than he plays. And with the kind of emergence of, you know, the health of Smith, the the contributions of Jackson – and then the the ability for Neesmith to do that as well. I'm not going to say that that renders Brown irrelevant by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe that now puts Brown in a position where he can start guarding. I don't know if he has maybe the lateral quickness to guard like another team's top ball handler or two, but I think he was a little out of position defensively in the first you know 20 games of the year. And maybe now you get a better look at what exactly he brings to the table, but does that work him out of rotation? You know, Matherin is a guy that that seemingly has the body type and one would assume the quickness to, to be a pretty good defender, but at this point hasn't, I think is still learning how to even guard. I think he's been a lot better he has, the last month. But I mean, you know. And the minutes have shown that. I was a lot better at algebra with the tutor, but I still at times was pulling a 70. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. I mean, he's still 21, too. No, I get it. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, to your point. He's starting to show it, but, you know. When when push comes to shove in terms of when they get to that point of making cuts and making adjustments to the rotation, I mean, I know it's 
mainly because Brown wasn't there and a number of other prevailing factors, but he gets 36 minutes in the win against Milwaukee the other night. If we're simulating three months out, the only way he's getting 35, 36 minutes a night is if he's shown the growth that he's earned that. Otherwise, I think it goes back to he's a guy that gets his minutes chipped a bit in terms of where the fine-tuning of the rotation The is. guy that's really funny is McConnell. Correct. Because McConnell... At no point, there's nobody anywhere, there's no napkin anywhere that has jotted down lineups and it has McConnell in there. We were but making like, he jokes. just gets in there and it's like, you can't take him out. We were making jokes, like not about McConnell as a player, but just like opening night in the first couple games of the season, it's like, oh yeah, TJ's still here. And then you fast forward another couple of months and it's like, no, he's not only still here, but he's making significant contributions to this team. I, I could be, a, I would like to be and I hate to say this for like the Pacers because I don't want to divulge secrets, right? But I could be a consultant for, give me a random franchise, top of your head, Eddie Garrison. Let's go with, you want the East or the West? Random <laughs> franchise off the top of the your Memphis head, Grizzlies. Eddie Garrison. There you go. Memphis. <laughs> okay, Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies called me and they're getting ready to play the Pacers. I could be a consultant for them and I could be like, look, here's the thing you need to know. T.J. McConnell is going to come down the floor. He's going to start on the right-hand side. He's going to look. There's going to be – he's going to then drive the baseline. He's going to circle the baseline to the left-hand side, and he's either going to pop it out to, like, Buddy Heald at the top of the key, or more than likely what he's going to do is he's going to circle all the way down to the baseline, circle right back into the middle of the lane, pull up from eight feet, and hit a jumper. And then right when you are realizing that that just happened – and the incredulous nature of watching this guy that looks like he might be in the office just hitting a shot over your seven-footer, just as you're coming to that reality, he is actually going to break one quarter of the way down the floor, turn around like a bullet that nobody sees coming, and steal the inbound pass, and then either hit a layup or kick it back out for a three. It happens twice a game. And nobody seems to have figured this out. Nobody. I mean, nobody outside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Pacer fans love it because they know it's coming. It's the best thing ever to watch, right? Because yeah. TJ McConnell gives all of us hope. And I don't mean because we're all like, you know, obviously not everybody listening to this is a slow-footed white guy, right? I'm, I'm saying he gives people hope because he doesn't look like an NBA player and all of us aspire to be able to play in the NBA and we think to ourselves, I don't really have the athleticism, the shooting ability, or the foot quickness to do so, although he has those things. But I'm just going to get out there and, and like just kind of fool with some guys. And that's basically what he does, right? And he works harder than almost anybody else, right? Like he, he He's phenomenal. He's a fun player to watch. But if you're looking at, if I'm being honest, and I love TJ McConnell. I wore the, the TJ McConnell t-shirt jersey. He did. I saw that yesterday. Performance against the Bucks the other night. If I'm looking at this rotation, especially with seeing young pieces develop, I don't know that I... It's a luxury to be able to give TJ McConnell 22 minutes and know the outcome is going to be successful. But it's not a luxury that I want to have to rely on all the time. I'm willing to rely on it because I know he can deliver. But I would like to see other pieces of this roster by the time we get to March and April be in a position where maybe it's 12, 14 TJ McConnell minutes instead of 22. If you're looking at where you trim the roster at, the um, the somebody just sent me a thing. Carlisle was talking about how they're now designing plays for McConnell. The one thing I will say, I could be proven wrong in this. You never say never, 
But I'm telling you, it would stun me. Stun. The Pacers, realistically, when the trade deadline comes, have, one would assume, one player that is entirely off limits. Maybe two. Is that because you added McConnell in there? No. If they well, had Bismack Biombo, he would be untouchable. Oh, uh, Bismack. Listen, I <laughs> I would give up Halliburton for Bismack Biombo. You know why, Jimmy? <laughs> because his name is Bismack Biombo. That's exactly right. Because his name is Bismack Biombo. Yep. Uh, here's the thing Halliburton obviously is theoretically untouchable. And I think Turner is close to that because I think Turner still. What he brings defensively and what he facilitates for their transition is too important to what they want to do. But the one guy that he's not labeled untouchable, he's not deemed untouchable, and he certainly is not. The thing about T.J. McConnell, there's nobody out there that's going to trade because they want T.J. McConnell. But T.J. McConnell, based on salary and other such things, could be a salary match guy. Make it eight mil, I think, this year. So you're going after somebody, and you've got to throw in salary to make things match. He would be the guy that's in that category, except for this. I think he is coveted by the Pacers to the point where they would not move him. In in multiple ways, he's coveted by the Pacers in the point where I don't think he would be moved. I'm not saying that they would answer the phone by saying Indiana Pacers, T.J. McConnell's not available. How can I help you? But I think that. There are other players that if their name was mentioned would not create the level of discussion and conversation like T.J. McConnell would. I think he's highly coveted. And I think, by the Pacers I mean, and I think that he will be with the franchise beyond his playing days. It would not surprise me at all if he has a role with the Pacers similar to what David Thornton has with the Indianapolis Colts where he is working in the front office in some way, shape, or form, whether it be coaching, whether it be advising, whether it be player development, any of those things, would not surprise me at all if T.J. McConnell for a long time is not a member of the Pacers franchise. Jordan Cornette, by the way, college round ball, joins us in 10. Jimmy. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Cook, you have or have not seen Garth Brooks in concert? I have not. Eddie Garrison, you have or have not seen Garth Brooks in concert? Nope. Doesn't he do like eight shows in a row? Like apparently he's just an unbelievable live performer. I'm not a huge Garth Brooks. I'm nothing against Garth Brooks, the guy. That genre of music is not my cup of tea necessarily uh randy bernard who used to be the ceo of indycar and super cool dude uh, randy is basically his business manager and has always spoken extremely highly of him everything i've ever heard about garth brooks is that he is like the nicest dude on the planet great guy never seen him in concert though 
I like like should I go see him just to see because I like live shows. If I don't like, don't that's the wrong word. If, if I don't regularly listen to his music, do you think it would be like a complete waste of my time, or do you think I would enjoy it? I feel like given the fact that based on our working together, you appear to be a live music fan. If you've heard enough people say, "Oh, he's great," I think you should go see it for yourself. Yes. Doesn't he? I mean, I mean, honestly, like he he he. Pl- is he like Springsteen? He plays for like three and a half hours straight or something. It's just nonstop energy. People go people go crazy over Garth Brooks concerts. They'll throw down a flight of stairs over him, right? If I go to the Garth Brooks concert, I can wear my Jimmy Choo cologne. Isn't that what Kyle Knezovich recommends? Eddie and Q, both both of them? Jimmy Choo cologne, yeah. I'm going to whittle it down to like eight. I was going to say... Kyle Knezovich tweeted at us at Querying Company and said that uh, when the very attractive woman suggested this to him, his her exact words were, the ladies will want to eat you. <laughs> okay. Okay. My bond number nine fits into that category. I thought Old Spice was in that category. <laughs> it's what the commercials told me. That's right. Go with just some, some Stetson. What's your cologne of choice, Eddie? Uh, Dolce & Gabbana. That's a good one. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy, yours? I think the last one that's still in the rotation is something by Gucci. Ooh, that's not bad. Yeah, Gucci's not bad. Chanel makes a good one. But I'm telling you, the bond number nine is the way to go. Dolce Gabbana's way up there, though. Which uh, which number? Chanel number what? Nine, right? Isn't <laughs> yeah. it, I think it is nine, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a pre- No, Chanel Platinum. That's what it is. Ch- Chanel Platinum is a good one. Is a really good one. Um, Jordan Cornette going to join us just a couple minutes now talk a little college basketball including Indiana tonight in Nebraska kind of a tricky game for Indiana because Nebraska admittedly you look at and you go oh okay I mean but Fred Hoiberg I I think has them playing pretty well and you know Don Fisher's talked about it a couple of times when we've talked to him Jimmy what like twice now he has mentioned hey you know you got to be you got to be kind of careful with Nebraska because they play well they're off to a good start and this was the target date, kind of unofficially. The expected date is maybe the better way of saying it for the return of Xavier Johnson. And if that is the case, then we'll see what that means for Indiana, certainly from a ball handling standpoint and an outside shooting standpoint. Because Mackenzie Ambaco is starting to hit some threes, but they need regular, you know, Galloway's capable of hitting some, but you've got to have some balance in terms of multiple people you know we talked about it with Purdue in the fact that Purdue a year ago I think what hurt Purdue so badly was when teams basically said you know what Zach Eady like he's going to get 35 so we're going to try to defend around the arc and see if teams can beat us that way and Purdue struggled with it especially later in the year when Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith just kind of hit the, the freshman wall a little bit and you know, now, I mean, Jones last night, like I said, took 10 of them and was 3 of 10 from outside three-point range. But, you, but you've got enough shooters there to, to kind of spread it around. And if one guy's off, you can offset with other players that can pick it up. And, and I think Indiana needs that now. If Mbako or Galloway, so far, Jimmy, they have yet to have a game where multiple people are really in rhythm from the outside, right? And that's the unfortunate part about going into Big Ten Conference play is you know you have – pieces that can score whether it's from beyond the arc or whether it's just all around scorers and you know you have top tier talent in the Big Ten as well whether it's Malik Renew whether it's Khalil Ware whether it's Mackenzie Mbako 
And you add Xavier, Xavier Johnson's veteran leadership whenever they get him back. There are pieces here. The question is, are they able to put it all together? And not only that, are they able to carry over, carry over excuse me, high-level numbers in non-conference play into the Big Ten and over the course of the gauntlet that this thing is? And it starts tonight against Nebraska. Look, any if you don't know it by now, maybe you're new to Big Ten basketball or you just don't follow college basketball that closely until it gets to February and March, there are no nights off in this conference. That's not a cliche. It's just the truth. And if IU is unable to put it together in a complete basis, they're not going to have the type of conference year they want. They would like to end, what, it's been seven years, I think, since the last time they won a Big Ten regular season title when Yogi Ferrell was there. And I know Purdue is going to be the favorite, rightfully so, to do it again. But if they want any conversation of ending that drought and dethroning Purdue in the Big Ten ranks, it starts tonight against Nebraska, against games you should win, though you will be tested. Which college in the Big Ten do you think would be the, of the not including the expansion, which school would be the most fun to attend, not named Indiana or Purdue? Michigan. Michigan so, State. Michigan State. I take are we it back. talking Michigan about State. the current members of the Big Ten, or are we talking That's what I said, about not, not including the, the, the recent expansion? Michigan State. Okay. I've never been to a game at Breslin. I would like to see a game there. It'd be cool, but the wintertime would suck there as a student, right? I thought you were saying one off. I need to just commit and be no, there no, the no, whole just, time. You got to go to school. There. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, there's not exactly a ton I, of. I would have said Maryland until last night. I saw their fans and thought they kind of act like jackasses, right? Sure. Jordan Cornette's next. So this is just raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. For you, Jimmy, if you were going to go to Michigan, not Michigan State, right? Yes. Telling you, one of the most fun things that I've I've witnessed in the last two years was um, happened to be downtown the night of the Big Ten Championship game when Michigan and Iowa were playing and went into one of the bars and bunch of Michigan fans were in there, and I did not know of the Mr. Brightside connection, and somebody put it on in the bar, and the place went absolutely bonkers. I still don't understand it it either because that's a a, a worldwide song. I don't understand why Michigan adopts it as their anthem. And somebody else has done it, too. Minnesota or somebody else has done it, too. Like, once one school does it, they kind of own it, right? Yeah. Uh, Jordan Cornette joins us now on the program to talk a little college basketball. Um of course, no stranger to the Indianapolis airwaves and now with NBC. Jordan, I'm going to begin with this. Uh, you would think that I'm going to sit here and ask you about Purdue or Indiana or whatever else, but I've got to start with this. I saw your tweet last night. Caitlin Clark's pretty good, isn't she? Oh, man, Jake. Uh, it's good to be back on with you, Jimmy, as well. Uh, it was just a moment where I just felt like the platform needed to be about Caitlin Clark and only Caitlin Clark last night. And look, Purdue is the number one team on our airwaves over at NBC and Peacock, and yet still, when you watch an athlete deliver like that, it trumps everything else. Like, we're all fans. We've all watched uh, generational talents occasionally pop in. You know, we've seen the rise of LeBron James. We've watched Tom Brady's illustrious career to retirement. 
it feels like you're watching the start of somebody who's going to go down in the pantheon of one of the all-time great athletes, and she's really just getting started with her college run. I mean, I think back to when I was 18 and 22 years old, and I was an average athlete in Notre Dame. I was proud of my career and what it was. I played around a lot of great players, and I marveled at what they were able to do on that stage. And it pales in comparison to anything that's being asked of this young woman in Caitlin Clark. And yet she's not bothered by it. She's unflappable. And when the moment calls, somehow she finds a way. It's like Jeter on his last game and he gets the game-winning hit. You're like, how does this happen? Like watching that game last night, it's like there's no way this young woman in front of all these people is going to hit 40 with a game-winning shot. And sure as hell she did. And it's just you marvel because everyone else is – Elated, everyone else is going crazy, and she's just got the look of ho hum. This is what I do. It's incredible, Jordan. With that, you know, one of the things that's always fascinated me about athletes in general, and I wanted you to add your perspective on this as somebody that played. You know, I, I used to for for so many years, I would watch great players, exactly what you're talking about. When the moments find great players, and I would think to myself, what do they do to elevate their their play in that last minute? And then finally I had the epiphany that somebody pointed out to me, but that maybe it's not that those players are elevating, it's that everybody else dips a little bit because of the pressure of the moment and they themselves are completely immune to it. And because their game doesn't dip, it allows them to rise. It allows them to be risen above everybody else. Which way do you see it? I I see a little bit of both, and and I'll challenge that by adding another element. I don't think they they take into account implications. Well, what happens if this is a miss? Oh, my gosh, I can make this. I think they just stay so laser-focused as if the 40th minute or the 39th minute, excuse me, is the first minute of the game. So when people get tense, I think they're wholly unaware of that because they don't allow their mind to get away from not a moment, but the job still at hand. And I've really studied this because it's something I think is so fascinating in sport. You know, I watch a guy like Joe Burrow from my Cincinnati Bengals have that magnificent year two years ago and what he was able to do in those biggest moments. And you look between their eyes and you just get the sense of, like, they don't know what's at stake here. They're able to stay laser-focused tunnel vision without the understanding of what this could mean for their legacy if they do this or what this could mean if they don't get it done. They just look locked in. And I think that level of being locked in is the point zero 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 one percent of the special athletes, and that's what you see with a Caitlin Clark. Okay, so locked in. Obviously, that takes us to Purdue. Last night, winning in Maryland. Um, I, I think we know Jordan Cornette of what, you know, clearly we know who Purdue is and, and what they are. A year ago, I think they got a little bit exposed in March, obviously, in the fact that teams started late in the year to just say, look, we're going to let Zach Eady get his. And, and see who else can beat us. Has Matt Painter taken care of that now where they have enough weapons around now that on any given night it's almost impossible to pick a poison? Yeah, and this one's been mentioned a lot, fellas, but the addition of Lance Jones uh, in, the tra- in the portal has been has been huge for this group because it takes the pressure off. Of course, Edie takes pressure off everybody. I mean, he's a walking 2020 guy. It's the numbers are video game numbers. But what Lance Jones, and we've heard this through some broadcasts, he's alleviated the pressure of this is a guy that can create off the bounce. This is a guy that makes life even easier for Braden Smith and for Fletcher Lawyer. And it's shown in the numbers. It, it wasn't a, a stretch to say the vulnerability of this group were those guards. Best thing about freshmen, they become sophomores. I mean, that's a lot to ask of a freshman backcourt 
say you got the, the greatest player in college basketball right now going to the national championship. They got exposed in that 116 matchup. They had to spend the whole summer thinking about that, much like a team before them did several years back in Virginia to turn around and won a national championship. Now, can you write that in ink right now that Purdue's going to go win that national championship? Absolutely not. But if you make me pick a team right now, I'm picking the battle-tested Purdue squad because now you look at the efficiency numbers of Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, who, by the way, Braden Smith's playing like an All-American. These guys let the game come to themselves. Braden still needs to tighten up a little bit more at the basketball, but he's made strides there, and they're making the big shots. So now it's not leave them open, make them go beat us, or apply pressure and turn them over. They're taking care of it, and they're knocking down those shots. So now there's no vulnerability in this offense. Look, Purdue didn't even play their best game at Maryland last night in their first true road test. But they played efficient enough to be double figures better throughout the entire game. I was impressed with how they managed that game and never gave Maryland any belief. And defensively is where they really flex their muscle. College basketball analyst for NBC Sports, Jordan Cornette, is our guest. Jordan, throughout any long successful run in sports where you look at your checklist of things to accomplish in the NFL, it's divisional titles, right? It's the same way in baseball and to an extent with conference play, it's the same in college athletics. Though the caveat is roster turnover so much more aggressive. Very rarely are teams the same as they were the year before. When you look at what Purdue has done conference-wise the last five years, six, seven, eight years, it's been as good of a run as anywhere you're going to see. Has it gotten to a point, though, through the lens you view them, that, yes, those are nice, but that's old hat because you've grown accustomed to, to them doing it all the time. You need to see it happen on the grandest stage because it feels like it's been that way within the Purdue fan base to some extent. Like, okay, yeah, we're going to win the Big Ten or we're going to come close, but what's going to happen in March? Do you view it that same way nationally? I don't view it that same way nationally because I think it's buffoonery, honestly. I think if you can't appreciate that a team consistently is winning in a a conference like the Big Ten and providing you uh, the opportunity, the blessing to go watch great basketball and your team that you root for coming out on the winning side consistently, conference wins against a team with a losing record, a team with a winning record, a game at home, and especially a game on the road, those are to be celebrated. It is so hard to win in conference play and to do it consistently like Painter has done. It's why those who know, which I'm including you two, understand that that's greatness. Now, of course, the thing still eluding him and eluding the Big Ten in general. It's been 23 years since, obviously, Tom Izzo and the Mateen Cleves-led Spartans got it done. The conference wants a title. Obviously, Purdue wants to get to a second weekend and beyond and get to a Final Four and win a championship. And that's the expectation this year, as it should be. But that shouldn't take away from the appreciation of what they've done and how they've been able to do it. As you mentioned, Jimmy, these roster flips and and all that stuff. And I go back to this. It was an interesting conversation I had with Jeff Capel, the head coach of uh, the Pitt Panthers, who does a fine job with that group. He has a lot of roster turnover. He, he, He is dealing with a lot of transfers. He likes to be old. He likes to do it that way. He said the biggest challenge, and no coach can tell you otherwise, if they do, they're lying. You can't say we're bringing in a guy from the transfer portal and we know he's going to be great for our group. You don't know till he's in your gym, in your locker room, being coached up by you, engaging with the personnel already on your roster day-to-day to really know if it's a fit. It's a crapshoot when you hit the transfer portal. So teams are dealing with a disadvantage. Sure, they're bringing in more talent, but they're trying to get that to congeal, be fortified in the locker room, and go win. And Coach Painter's been able to sidestep that for the majority of his time with continuity, old-school recruiting, cultivating within, and that's provided them – the position to be in where they're consistently winning. So great appreciation for it, 
But of course, everyone in that locker room and that fan base wants a championship, and that's fine. But still appreciate what you've done to this point, and of course, go win one. You put an interesting caveat that not a lot of people have talked about when they talk about the parallels between what Virginia went through and what Purdue went through in losing to a 16 seed, which is, look at what Virginia did, but that's not written in ink because of the crapshoot that is the NCAA tournament. Purdue, though, like you mentioned, added some pieces in the portal and largely a similar roster from a year ago. If you're looking or if you're, you're talking to Purdue fans or if you're on coverage leading into the NCAA tournament and you're looking at their outlook what what should be a successful fair bar for Purdue in 23-24? Oh, I, I go win a, a Big Ten championship. I mean, that, that's incredibly important. And, and look, take advantage of uh, – you got to say a national championship. Now, I'll never say with any team on any stage it's national championship or bust. But as competitors, we all look at it and say we're training in the preseason, we're training during the regular season to go win a championship. And if we don't win that, sure, we feel like a failure, but you shouldn't – be judged that way by the ones outside the locker room. That's a competitive fire within the group. So I will also add this element to it, and maybe this is talking out of both sides of my mouth, but you've got the best player in college basketball. His numbers are going to go down as some of the most dominant. So obviously you want to take advantage of that while you have a seven foot four Zach Eadie, but go back and look at some of the incredibly dominant players in college athletics. Did, did, did Shaquille O'Neal, go win a national title? Did Kevin Durant go win a national title? It's hard to do because it's a one-and-done setup. Sometimes you don't bring it. But I'll say this. With Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer on that roster playing like they are now as opposed to last year, it's a different look, and it's way more difficult of an out. Jordan Cornett is our guest. You can, of course, see and hear his work and his analysis of college basketball, NBC Sports, and Peacock. Jordan, I want to go back to your alma mater. You mentioned earlier Notre Dame. I thought it was interesting that Micah Shrewsbury, and I liked it, kind of called out recently just, you know, hey, we're setting a culture here. We're setting accountability. Coaches say that a lot, and then there are some coaches that say it, and you go, I think that guy really means it. And they're coming off a big win against Virginia, still trying to find their footing, but just overall your impressions, not only of his being vociferous about that, but where Notre Dame stands since he has had those comments. Well, you know, when I watch that, Jake, and you're old school like me to this degree, like there needs to be an element of that firing your guys up still in college athletics because it's proven it works. And clearly it worked for this Notre Dame team. It was refreshing to see a coach that's not doing it for show. He said that in a locker room to those guys, and he repeated it on a public forum to let the fan base, those invested in Notre Dame basketball, who he considers part of the family, hey, look, this is unacceptable. And if guys are going to waste your time as fans, your time with money to come watch us not go out there and compete, they won't be here any longer. And I've told them that in the locker room. So I like that it wasn't something like, whoa, coach is singing a different tune out in front of the media. No, that was the message throughout. And the guys bought in because what I know about Micah Shrewsbury is he's a very genuine guy. Uh, He's a very disciplined guy. He's rooted in his beliefs and their pure beliefs. And he has the players and the program's best interest in mind. And, oh, by the way, he's a brilliant X and O's guy. He's going to get this thing right. Look, they lost 99% of their scoring from a year ago. 99%. They're going to take their lumps. But to me, a win like that versus Virginia, maybe it sounds alarms for Virginia's ability to score. But greater than that, it says these guys who are in an uphill climb on the roster at Notre Dame have the fight in them to be that dominant against a Virginia team that's going to be a tournament team. I sat with Jack Swarbrick when they were going through the search for a coach. And Jack Swarbrick is still sitting AD at Notre Dame 
said, this is our guy. He knew he wanted Micah Shrewsbury. Of course, there's a search to dot all I's and cross all T's. But from the minute go, from the first minute of this search, it was, let's go get Micah Shrewsbury. He was the guy. He is the guy. He will be the guy. And it was really refreshing to see that happen. And it's a lot more fun to talk Notre Dame basketball after a game like that as opposed to the handful before it. Jordan, another coach that – Jordan Cornette is our guest. Another coach within the state that I have no idea like how much he might have been a target when they got him. I was totally unfamiliar with him. And I'm going to go over tonight to Terre Haute to watch Indiana State and Evansville, which, you know, two teams that both have new coaches turning things around. But can you comment on Josh Schertz and the job that he's done and what Indiana State has been able to do – to go from really kind of the depths in the Moval to now putting something together that looks like it could be a pretty good year. I'll tell you, and, I, and I, they gave Michigan State uh, all they could, they could handle for a better part of 30-plus minutes in that game before Michigan State, who, by the way, is surging on the uptick, uh, heading in the direction we expected them to. But they gave them all they could handle on the road. Indiana State is a group that is so good offensively that they're going to have a shot against anybody. And all of us, as we watch college basketball, I think part of the product that is a little head-scratching and makes it a little less palatable at times is these young men just can't shoot, they can't score, they can't share it, they're not playing connected offensively. And that is everything. Those issues are, 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 are a non-starter for Indiana State basketball. I mean, these guys pass it well. Avula, the big guy with the, with the goggles at 6'10", is a joy to watch because everything is below the rim, but he's got such a good feel and they play through him. They make shots, they can play fast, they can play in a half-court setting. But they light up a scoreboard, and that's dangerous. I hope, I pray, this team gets into the tournament, which will probably mean they'll have to get that automatic by winning in their conference tournament. But I hope they get there because everybody should see the brand they play. Uh, you're really going to enjoy watching them. Uh, they're a lot of fun, Jake. I, I thought one of the things that was interesting, I watched that Michigan State game, and so much of their offense kind of runs through what Vila is able to do, right, in facilitating from the post and – Kind of an, he's been compared, I mean, a very poor man's, but like a Jokic type role yeah. of just kind of feeding out. But I thought in that game, Jordan, that his athleticism lacked as such, where they had to take him off the floor because Michigan State was able to exploit him and just kind of take him out a little bit. And they did a good job of their shooters still being able to get shots. But is that, if maybe in the mobile, that's not an issue, but is that going to potentially be something that hurts them in an athletic matchup in March? Well, yeah, and that's what the beauty is of the tournament is, Jake, it comes down to matchups, right? Like, when you look at this group, like, they're going to have to have, much like a lot of these potential upsets that are always brewing come March, it's all going to be personnel laden with the opposition. And Michigan State, who at the core can be an elite defensive team because they got a deep bench, they can throw a lot of different looks at you, a lot of versatile guys, they can switch everything. But the personnel that they can throw – on a hybrid like a Beulah, it, it can create a lot of challenges. So what they were able to do, they were able to throw a bunch of different looks at him, throw favorable personnel that could really get up in him at any level of the court and make it uncomfortable for him to deliver, have his, have his passing airspace avenues to get the ball where he wanted to. And a lot of Michigan State, what they were able to do was apply that pressure but also translate that into runouts going the other way. Michigan is not clearly a good matchup for Indiana State, but if you find Indiana State – Going against a group with a big that a few bigs that don't present that versatile defensive ability that can't get up in you and apply that pressure, Indiana State can thrive with how they score the basketball. So I just didn't like that matchup for them. They're going to find a couple of those big dogs if they do get into the tournament that don't want to see them because they don't match up well with them. Does Indiana have a tricky one tonight, Jordan Cornette, in Nebraska? Because I think we look at Nebraska and you go, yeah, Nebraska, but 
no, you know, no, Fred no. Hoiberg's done a nice job, basketball. right? Nebraska can play basketball. I, this is a huge game for both sides because, Jake, I mean, you, you know Indiana as well as anybody, man. Like, they're expected to beat Nebraska. It's Nebraska. They're Indiana. Indiana hasn't found consistency yet. Um, is Ware back for for Indiana? Yeah, I think he is expected to play because it was not injury but stomach illness. So I think okay, he is so expected, yeah. With Ware, it makes that game even that much more exciting and probably tilts towards Indiana. But make no mistake, Nebraska is a gritty, physical group. They've got some scoring punch on the perimeter. Uh, they're a group that can operate both in the half court and the full court setting, and they rebound the ball really well, too. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be a it's going to feel like I know Nebraska's not fully looked at as a Big Ten team although they've been there for a handful of years now but it's going to feel like a Big Ten grinder game for sure and it can really define the trajectory of these two teams as we navigate through January. Jordan, is there an avenue for IU to win the Big Ten? Yeah, I, I think that look <laughs> the Big Ten is fascinating right now, fellas, isn't it? I mean, did you expect that Illinois score last night? No, because I didn't. I, I did not expect Illinois to beat Northwestern by thirty with Terrence Shannon uh, gone for the year with that group. Uh, I think that there's going to be absolutely a chance for Indiana. I wouldn't put my money there. I wouldn't bet the house on it. But if you got two homes, why not throw one of them out there? <laughs> uh, I, I just don't know. I, I think there's a lot to be figured out still. I think Ohio State has looked really good. Illinois. I just don't see how uh, how anybody's better in Purdue right now. So I think to say win the Big Ten, I couldn't go that route. I don't see anybody usurping Purdue in the Big Ten, but playing for second, uh, I think is reasonable if they really start with Nebraska tonight and go on a run. But I'll tell you what, I really like Ohio State. The mask for Illinois taking the reins there, I really like Illinois. Uh, Northwestern, that was a befuddling performance last night. They don't have many guys that go off the bounce. So I like those three that I mentioned, Purdue, Ohio State, Illinois, as my first three. Michigan State's another one to watch out for with all their talent. I could see Indiana around five, to be honest. Jordan, I'll be honest, man. I I always marvel with it, your ability to be able to talk about any team anywhere in the country. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing here, the dog and pony show that, that, that I'm doing three hours a day. I've got to know, like, three teams. <laughs> your ability to be able to spout off about any team at any time uh, truly is a talent, and I appreciate your sharing it with us today. And certainly wish you the best for a happy new year, and we'll continue watching on NBC Sports and Peacock. Hey, Jake, you know, anytime you call me, you need me, brother. I'm a call away, man. You, my brother loved you. I love you. Jimmy, it's nice to be on with you, man. And well, you know what the city of Indianapolis means to me and everybody in that town. I appreciate it, man. And uh, absolutely appreciate the comments about Joel as well, because Joel Cornett, one of my all-time favorite people, Jordan Cornett, his brother, of course, Notre Dame star, and now – college basketball analyst. I, I'm telling you, Jimmy, it always amazes me, guys, that, that do this nationally, that you can mention like any any team and they're able to go for five minutes. And it's like, I mean, that that is a true skill. One of the questions I was going to bring up, you know, I, I kind of ran out of time there and it's not necessarily of, of total note within the market, but it is a little bit because of Butler, obviously, in the conference. I was scanning the channels last night and – Big East was on and DePaul was on. And I'm telling you guys, I, I know that I beat this horse a lot. I, I just, I cannot see. It is a mystery to me, total mystery to me, how DePaul has become so bad. I mean, you're based in Chicago. You're in the Big East. You've got, and admittedly, it's been a long time running, but you've got some history behind you just in terms of, you know, at one time being a big time program. 
just being in Chicago alone, doesn't it seem like you'd be able to just fall out of bed and get two or three guys that can score for you and help you win? And they do their best to market where they can, right? Like the whatever your Big East ties or, or Chicago's Big East team, like they're not short on advertising and pubbing that program. I remember the year I lived there, you couldn't walk around downtown and eventually you would see a DePaul advertisement somewhere with us for basketball or just for athletics as a whole. Like I'm with you. It is surprising that year after year they are in the bottom of that conference. I mean, a lot of people this year are probably going to be victims to a absolute grudging from uh, UConn like they yeah, did yeah. last night. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, only yeah, three it's wins hard to judge name, off that, right? But their total body of work is what you're talking about. And yeah, it's surprising year over year. Now, I'm curious of this. So JMV's in the other room. I don't think you can hear us, though. Uh, do they sell beer at Indiana State games? No idea. Well, I can assure you it's probably not on tap. <laughs> so you'll have to... Well, you have to do with. I'm going to be here's a, a, here's a why I ask here's here's why beer. I ask, and even so, if they do have it, it's gone. It's so gone. I'm going to be driving over there. So so probably not applicable to me, but I'm going with my buddy Byron. Right? Do you have so, the keys in the wallet already? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm driving, and the and the tickets are on my phone. So Good. no worries there with Byron who forgets everything. But we went, Byron and I went to on one of our road trips. We were in Lincoln, Nebraska. Speaking of where Indiana is going to be tonight, nine o'clock tip. You can hear it over on our sister station WIBC, and. We're in Lincoln, and Nebraska was playing Michigan that day. So we go into this bar. Uh, Barry's is like the big that's the that's the Harry's or the Kilroy's of Lincoln. So we go into this bar two hours before the game, and we see two guys that are our age. And so we go walking up to them, and I, I think I've mentioned to you guys. I walked up to these guys and said, I know I told this story on the morning show, so maybe different audience here. I walked up to these two guys, my age, this was two years ago, at a Nebraska football game bar scene, and I go, okay, listen, guys, my buddy and I are on a road trip. We're just driving through town. We come from a university. We both attended a university where the basketball program, in terms of the era of dominance, the the trajectory, everything else is 100% the equivalent of Nebraska football. A once-proud program that had a dominant coach that has now been struggling to try to recapture what was the dominant era of our childhood, and nostalgically speaking, we still long for it, but have to be realistic about the fact that nationally speaking, it's not seen in the same breath that it was 20 years ago. And literally, the guy, the two guys from Nebraska, one of them looked right at me and goes, so how far is the drive from Indiana? right away right so but byron who i'm going to the game with tonight and this is my area of concern and why i'm asking about the indiana state thing um byron it was really pretty impressive and and listen i'm being facetious because it's not like he has some sort of a problem with it it was just we were on a road trip and having fun uh byron drank seven bush lights in like 35 minutes it was really pretty impressive it's like water come on (laughs) if it was for him so so these guys are like hey Guys, like we got two extra tickets to the game. It was a night game, right? Come on, da 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 da. And this is on a Saturday night, and we and Byron had to be back Sunday evening. I mean, we're like nine hundred miles from home. He's like, "We're going to the game. Come on!" And I'm like, "Dude, I'm I'm literally hog tying him in the car. We got to go. We got to hit the road. We got to get to like the Jefferson City, Missouri by tonight in order to get home tomorrow." And finally, like cooler heads prevailed. And and so I'm curious though, how many bush lights he might be able to have tonight before the game in Terre Haute. Bush light is like, I mean, that's. That's like champagne in Terre Haute, isn't it? <laughs> Is it not? 
Uh, or is it Keystone Light over there? I don't know. Probably both, right? <laughs> this is where we need you. I'll have to ask JMV when he comes in in just a couple minutes because actually he's going to take over here at 3 o'clock, as we know. Um, but we'll get back into not just that game because Indiana State taking on Evansville tonight, but the bigger one in town here within the state. Pacers, Bucks tonight, and of course, of course, the big one on Saturday that we will continue to discuss all week, and that's the Colts and Texans. Actually, Jimmy, we should get into that next. Break that down and get you caught up on what the Colts are doing out on West 56. We'll do it next. Paul is great. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Right, isn't he? Now, what we know is this. The Colts are back on the practice field getting set for their big Saturday evening showdown against the Houston Texans. And Ty Corey displays the time online when you look at their watches. It is. Have you not looked at it yet? I did. It's it's pretty phenomenal, it isn't is. it? Yeah. You click on the watch of your choice, and then it comes up, and it has the actual time, and it ticks. I'd like to know the brainiac behind that and how they made that happen. You think it was Tag or Hoyer? I don't know. Maybe they just played Tag. I went to high school with a guy named Tag, Tag Burge. He's two years older than me. Maybe they tag teamed it. Donation to North Central, good dude. What's that? Maybe they tag teamed it. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly what they did, right? Um, So whether you want to know the... uh, Minute or the Hoyer, Tag Hoyer's there for you. That's right. That should be their campaign slogan. So, or their marketing slogan. Eddie, give me caught up to speed on what's happening at West 56 in terms of those players in question from a health standpoint getting set for the Texans in a win or go home game, unless they tie. There's a, but big one. Who's practicing? Uh, there are a few players that were listed as DNPs yesterday on today's report. It looks like Braden Smith. Uh, he's dealing with a knee injury. Quentin Nelson dealing with an ankle injury. Kenny Moore, obviously, with the back injury. And Zach Moss with that forearm injury. Good news for those group of players. They were all on the practice field. Ryan Kelly's dealing with an ankle injury. He was not active at practice, and he was spotted in a boot. So Kenny Moore is the one that everybody wants to to see, you know, feel is the most important to get back out. Probably some truth to that just because of the fact that, you know, Houston's going to try to go through the air. And you need your, you know, all hands on deck in terms of your defensive backfield. But Jimmy, Ryan Kelly's important too, I guess, because, you know, when it comes to your offensive line, you, you've got to have cohesion. And if he's in a boot today, three days out, that's not necessarily totally good news, right? Look, now is not the time to have issues up front. When we've been talking about the last couple of weeks that, it's stabilized there after that strong performance across the board. I know this doesn't directly involve Ryan Kelly, this particular win, what they were able to do against Malcolm Kuntz and Max Crosby a week ago. Crosby more notably because he's one of the premier pass rushers in the entire NFL. Yeah, that's not ideal because so much of what they've been able to do is about timing and rhythm. 
And even if it is just up front, I don't want any type of cohesion mishaps that can make life harder on Gardner Minshew in a winner-go-home elimination game effectively for both teams. You know, C.J. Stroud, since coming off that concussion, I, I don't know that – and look, I think he's a – obviously, he's a great player, still young, but it would be, you know – it's not like I sit there and I totally analyze on a regular from one to the next the way Houston has played, but coming off of the concussion where he missed, did he miss two games, I think? And there was some question mark as to, yes, question marks the wrong word, but there were people that were surprised that he missed that long. As I've talked about, you know, with neuro- neurological stuff, you, you got to play it safe, and I totally get that, um, but... It's not like he came out last week and was, you know, he didn't have one of his signature. He's had some big-time games. It, it, it feels like they might be able to keep him in check a little bit, but he still gives you some pause, and that's why you've got to have all hands on deck from a defensive backfield standpoint. And Jimmy, considering the injuries and also the loss they've had somewhat away from injury for the Colts defensively in the backfield – I thought they actually fared pretty well against the. Ra- I, I thought they played well yeah. against Vegas, but they're gonna, they're going to have to do it again. And the problem with trying to evaluate the Texans, and you're rightfully doing that in terms of looking at Stroud, you have to look at the entirety of what he's done this season versus just the one game back from a concussion. But like they didn't really need him to do anything special, right? You're up twenty to three at halftime. That thing's over. Tennessee doesn't have the firepower, nor at this stage with where they're at, even as good of a coach as. Mike Vrabel is at times. They don't have the will to be able to come back at a game like that. Like that, they're in check. Tennessee scores three points in that game. CJ Stroud could have had his feet up at halftime and everything would have been fine. Now it is for them the same viewpoint that the Colts have, which is they know what they need to do. They take care of business and they're going to the playoffs. And just like the Colts, if the Jaguars stumble, they could somehow win the division out of all this. I mean, they they have a good running game as well. Devin Singletary has been there leader the last couple of weeks, but Damian Pierce, even though he's not been able to recapture what he did a year ago, is still a sufficient back. And then Robert Woods is on the injury report yesterday. Like Just like the Colts don't want any injuries up front, I wouldn't like less weapons available for C.J. Stroud if I'm a Texans fan, even though he's in the twilight of his career, but he's been useful over the last couple of weeks for Houston. Nico Collins, Robert Woods have been their go-to over the last couple of weeks with the injury to, I believe, was Tank Dell that's been out for... Can't forget about the tight end, Dalton Schultz, sure. either. No, that's, been a good good. Point. I mean, th- that's the point, though, right? They have a balanced passing attack. I don't think there's one set way to beat the Texans from a defensive schematic standpoint, aside from getting home with pressure, which is an area that's been a key for the Colts all year, right? If you're able to win up front and get home with four, you're going to be happy with what you're able to do defensively. If not, and if Kenny Moore doesn't go, you're asking once again a up and down secondary to deliver if you're not getting home with your guys up front. Now, the Colts are going to win. Let's just say that. The Colts are going to win. They're going to go to the playoffs. Okay. Which team in the AFC is their best matchup? Which is the one that you look at and you go, that doesn't worry me at all. Let's go. Oh, it doesn't worry you at all? Are you going to say this best chance to win? Um, Both. Look, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest with you right now. <laughs> like, this is not... There's no reverse psychology, which I'm sure Eddie will look at me like this. Like, 
if Kansas City plays like they've played for the large majority of the year and their pass catchers aren't, you know, catching footballs, they're susceptible to anybody. I don't care if it's Indianapolis. Like, that's not a necessarily fearful matchup as it would have been in years past if I'm the Colts. We had on uh, Eric Edholm earlier. If Miami isn't 100% with their playmakers, Jalen Waddle, for instance, if he's not available and you draw them on the road in Miami, that's a game you can hang around with. Though I will say the one thing Eric did not mention, I don't know that I want Tyreek Hill going up against the Colts secondary. I don't care if Kenny Moore's there or not. I'm not sure that's something that I would wish for as a playoff team. I would say probably if you're matching up with Kansas City or Buffalo, it'd be an interesting matchup. Yeah, Buffalo worries me just because it feels like Buffalo worries everybody. They can flip a switch, right? right? Yes. I mean, I, I Buffalo is that team for sure that it's like I just assume they not get in. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of concern from people about Buffalo. Kansas City is another one, Jimmy, and you tell me where I'm wrong here. Sure. I I realize they have struggled, but in my mind, I still have the brand of, first off, Kansas City hasn't played an away game this year yet, right? Every game's at Arrowhead. You mean in the postseason? Just in general. Every time I watch them, they're at home. <laughs> oh, okay. I've never seen them on the road. Have you, Eddie, have you seen tangible proof that Kansas City's played a road game yet this year? Uh, I've only seen them play at Burrowhead. It's unbelievable. But okay, well, we're not we're not opening that wound. But uh, who won the AFC title and who won the Lombardi when they got there? All right, case closed. Thanks. You've Continue. only done it once. It's okay. Doesn't matter. But twice, once against Cincinnati. It, it, it right. feels like Kansas City can flip a switch also and get it going. But I think maybe that's giving them too much credit this Look, year. I'll, I'll be honest with you. He doesn't have the weapons. This is with some rope rose-colored glasses, right? And I'll keep this short and sweet because I understand the only way people care about this is if it's the actual playoff matchup that they draw. Rasheed Rice at SMU has been a godsend for Kansas City offensively, and I think they might have finally unlocked competence out of a rookie who still isn't perfect, but he's doing things that they miss from a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster a year ago, someone that can take pressure off Travis Kelsey and open up the offense in different ways. Isaiah Pacheco, if they're able to run the ball, this is a very old school, like 90s level Chiefs team. Great defense, solid running game. Are the pass catchers there? If, if they've really unlocked something with Rice and they involve Travis Kelsey more than they have the last three or four weeks, yes, you are correct, Jake. It feels like they're a switch away from getting things back on. If they're not able to, margin for error is out the door. Two years ago, they could get down 14 nothing, 17 nothing, and in the blink of an eye, they're back in a ball game. Today, 2023 season, it's not the same. Their margin for error is minimal. The funny thing about the AFC to me, and this is just strictly talking about like outside observation, like like the brand of teams, yeah. okay? I don't think, and I know they're really good. I don't want this to be taken as some sort of like bulletin board radio host Indianapolis makes moronic statement comment, okay? Sure. I know they're really good. But it doesn't feel like Baltimore makes people shake in their boots. Lamar Jackson's unbelievable, no doubt, and probably was undersold going into the year where people had kind of written him off, and you know what he's capable of doing. But even with that, there's nothing about Baltimore's style that like where you feel like you are immediately chasing a tiger by the tail. And 
you know, Miami, on the other hand, I think makes people even more nervous because they're so fast and they can score so many points. And if you're down there, you get them away from there, maybe it's a little different. But if you're down there, yeah. Miami, like, makes you feel like, man, like, what do you do against that? And Baltimore is one that just – that Baltimore doesn't come and land, like, a Mike Tyson haymaker on you right away. They just kind of consistently keep punching at your ribs before finally in the eighth round you're like, all right, enough. Yeah. And yet, on the other side of things, Buffalo and Kansas City are two teams that I think make people really nervous, but in reality, for the last seven weeks, haven't looked like a team that should make you nervous at all. But it's a matter of just branding and expectation, right? Correct. What they've done over the body of work of the careers of their quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, still instill fear in people, but it's not... Once you get that position figured out in the sport you have a good chance of everything else falling into place, but there are down years where the weapons aren't there or timing's off or something of that nature. Kansas City should still be feared, but it's not the same level of threat that it's been in years past in part because they gambled on wideouts and it didn't pan out for them. And of course, then you got Cleveland in there that, as we talked about, I Cleveland would worry me just because defensively. I I, I don't want to get into a playoff oh. game with Miles Garrett. Nah, I'm right there with you. And... and We've heard it all year. Don't you feel, though, wouldn't it be the most Cleveland Browns thing ever if they... Joe Flacco led them to a Super Bowl title? Is I was that gonna what we're say, going to say, the most Browns thing ever <laughs> would be for them to get into the playoffs and Joe Flacco then have some game where he oh, goes... Oh, turn into a pumpkin. 10 yeah, of, yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. of yeah. 28 yeah. with three yeah. picks, right? Yeah. I mean, that would by be... 40? Look, totally. When I look at the NFL right now, and this is not a big bridge or a big going out on a ledge moment for me, right? This is a very easy statement to say. I think everyone in this room would agree with it. As it stands right now, with one week left to play and a lot of stuff locked up and the playoffs on the horizon, the Super Bowl champion comes out of the NFC. And I think it's San Francisco. Again, it's not a big leap to take because of the one seed, but they've been the most complete team all year. Uh, Jimmy? Go ahead. They lost to Baltimore by like a lot. The Colts beat Baltimore. Does that mean the Colts are going to beat the Ravens? Hey, I, I'm the one who's been telling my family and friends that the Colts are the best team in the NFL because of that right okay, there. Okay. All right. But Wait, no, the I mean the most. Part, I believe who are the friends? What'd you say? <laughs> I said the family part. Okay. I believe who are the friends? Wow, <laughs> that's a low blow, Alec. <laughs> that's a low blow, <laughs> Alec Roar. Right? That's it. Yeah. Sure. Uh huh. Sure. Uh-huh. That's a low blow. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, I mean, for what it's worth, I, San Francisco I'd does expect feel, that from Jimmy, but not from you. San Francisco feels the most complete for sure, and they've. It, You know, any team has the capability in any game of having an off-unit day. You know, we didn't get pass rush in this game. We didn't. We didn't do well in the secondary in this game. We we didn't run the ball well. We didn't pass the ball well. There's always a unit that can have an. San Francisco to me feels like the team that has the greatest strength across all units. When I look at the 49ers and I look at the rest of the NFC. I would be genuinely surprised if they didn't represent the conference in the Super Bowl. When I look at the Ravens and I do that same exercise, Fair. I would not be surprised well, to not see them Well, part of that, too, is it. the depth of, the, of yes, each respective correct. conference. Yes. But yes, you are correct. I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. Uh, we'll hand it off to John next. We'll get you caught up on what he's got going on here as we roll along on this Wednesday. It's Corey and Company, 93.5-1075 The Fan. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- 
way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day will start first in the world of the NBA. We'll take Tyrese Halliburton over 38 and a half combined points and assists tonight when the Pacers welcome the Bucks into town. In that same game, give me over 26 and a half total points for Damian Lillard on Milwaukee's side. Still in the NBA, we'll take the Memphis Grizzlies on the money line over the Toronto Raptors. Jake's going to see a good one tonight. Give me over 86 and a half total points for the Sycamores of Indiana State when they welcome in Evansville. IU is five-point dongs. We'll take Indiana plus five tonight at Nebraska. And the final one, Eddie doesn't get bigger than this. Does not get bigger than this. The World Dart Championships are today. We'll take Luke Littler, the 16-year-old phenom, on the money line over Luke Humphreys. That gets started at 315. Uh, That's a sign of degeneration. How about Ted Lasso? Is he in it? (laughs) He's not in it. Got knocked out in the first round. Really? By the way, I will take Anthony Davis under 30 and a half points tonight against Miami. I'm actually going under on Damian Lillard against Pacers, 26 and a half, and I will be taking the over in the IU game of 115 and a half. You taking Luke Humphreys? Nope. Okay, all right. <laughs> By the way, so Jake, you know how late late at night thoughts pop into your head? Just random thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, TikTok feed is what pops into my head. Found out about World Dart Championships the other day. Uh, I, I Mainly for a bit here, right? I'm not truly like need to call 1-800-9 with it, but I wanted your reaction and you delivered, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm just saying. 315. You know? um, You're thinking about darts at late at night? <laughs> no, I'm you saying my watch, TikTok feed. You watch anything with like nudity or anything like that? In it? <laughs> What's happening here? Where are we? We John, about that. we had nudity these, yesterday we talked to you about. John, these yes. youngsters have no idea oh. the joy of the scrambled HBO coming in oh, because your neighbors were watching Sensuous Nurse. If I could just get a little side B going, man, it would have made my week. Yeah. And my man's talking about, thinking about TikTok darts. On, oh, man. Come on, World Jimmy. Dart Championships. I'll send you one later, Good John. Lord Almighty. You know, actually, speaking of that, John, yeah. so, many, so much talk about, understandably and rightly so, Phoebe Cates' magic scene in... Yes. But Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, she was up for the I mean it's she was up for it. It didn't <laughs> like, take too much. I mean you get a Demone wasn't persistent. He just kind of walked in and said, you got some good tea. Let's go do it. <laughs> and you know what's funny? He didn't even drink the iced tea. No, he he just switched it around and said, it's really you know, good iced tea. The most offensive part of that whole scene was this, that she was about ready to let Demone wear her brother's swimming trunks. That's right. Yeah. He's got I mean, a pair of yeah. Now, here's the thing, though. Do you think... Damone's not going to have anything between think those really trunks wanted, and then his stuff. Do you think she really wanted him to put on Brad's swim trunks? I or was that, that just, what they thought was that about doing. To get, I just thought, man, if I'm Brad, I'm going, hey, what are you doing? I don't want Damone wearing my... Those. Now, you want to know a fun fact about Fast there. Times? Huh? Here's a fun fact for you about Fast Times. The house where Stacy and yeah. Brad lived, that house, which I've been to in L.A., uh, has no pool in the backyard. The be- the pool scenes were actually filmed four doors down. That's awesome. Be- and, and have the you lady- been to that house? Did yeah, I went to the house, and the lady the lady could not have been nicer and told me. Uh, I said, "Well, can I come in the back and like see the pool?" <laughs> and well, she said, "Oh, that's actually down the street where they filmed those, but don't go down there. That guy's a jerk." That's, that's how she said. That's how Stacy got picked up by Ron Johnson in that scene, like four houses down. That's like exactly a street right. Down. Yeah, because she didn't want mom, she, and dad to see. She it. hopped out the window and went right down. Right, Pacific Stereos. Ron Johnson was. Hey, how cheap was he? <laughs> he goes, "Hey, you know what? Yeah, we don't, let's not go out for dinner. Let's just go, to go up point. here to the point in this dugout and get it done. That's right. No dinner." Uh, John, what do you got upcoming here? We've got, uh, what do we have? 
Mark Vanderbeer, voice of the Texans. Then Jeremiah Johnson is coming on. Rob Blackman's coming on. And then we'll talk about the World Dart Championships for Jimmy on his way home. So <laughs> we can get a sports arousal. Yes, that's Come right. On. We'll get Jimmy get a sports arousal on his way home with the World Dart Championships. All right. So John's up next. That's what he's got lined up. We will talk to you again tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been Querying Company here, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.